Okay, it's uh, Kevin Brittingham with Q. This is the Q and Ass Podcast, episode 13. Um, so today I'm with my buddy Joe Gadini. Hi, Joe. Hey, hi, Kevin. So, uh, hi. yeah, th- so we're sitting uh, on Joe's front porch in New Hampshire in the snow. He, he, he's like a rich homeless guy. We're um, having a Bud Light. We got a fire built on his porch in the snow. This is kind of where he sits every day. Um, so Joe moved up to New Hampshire from South Florida. This is his first winter, so this is really funny for me. Um, so Joe and I, how long have we been friends? 20 years? 25 years? Uh, probably 25. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I met Joe through Guns and Silencers. Well, Joe, what, um, so, well, your background, let's start with that so people know who you are that listen to us. Well, it was uh, engineering. So I worked at all the pulp and paper mill, chemical plants, et cetera, et cetera, all the years, several pharmaceutical. And uh, one day just had enough of it. My then future wife and I moved to Jacksonville, Florida. And I've, since my father was in the military, I've always been around firearms. So yeah. I always had a passion for guns and weaponry. So uh, I literally started a little class three gunsmithing business in Jacksonville, Florida. Southeastern Weaponry Repair. Yeah, it was Southeastern Weaponry Repair. And we were... SWR for those listening. We were broke <laughs> as hell. My wife... It was a little industry back then. Yeah, I mean, there was, there was probably 10 people that did anything in the whole gun industry back then. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I started this little thing, and I was doing HK conversions, sear installations, just anything I could. Yeah, you worked on an MP5 SDI I had once. Yeah. And, uh, you know, kind of like a, a, a much smaller auxiliary Terry Dyer type of thing. Yeah, right? yeah, so Terry Dyer was, um, those listening that are not as old as Joe and I, he was an incredible, I, I don't know if he's still around, but he's an incredible gunsmith, did really high-quality HK conversions, so machine guns and that sort of stuff. Yeah, because he was with Vollmer for a while. He did all the stuff for That's Vollmer. right, and yeah, when it was good. Yeah, so um, I don't know if you remember, you remember working on my MP5 SD? Like, I, I, had, I got, like, a pre-sample, and, like, my front sight, the, um, like, the, what would you call it, like, the peep was, was uh, it's sort of like the cage for the front sight on the front. It was round. It was bent. Yeah, and I sort of remember that. You, yeah. you heated it up and uh, and fixed it for me. You, you bent it back, and I wanted to paint it red, the whole gun. I wanted to say it red. You wouldn't let me, and uh, you, I, and we did it black. But um, oh yeah, I had uh, brown <coughs> baking lacquer was the closest thing I ever found to the the factory HK paint. Yeah, and I remember uh, and years ago, my kids were small, and I would spray them, and I would bake them in our oven. In, yeah, in our kitchen, and my wife was just having fits. Yeah, that's what I did with silencers originally <laughs> too for AC. Bad. Yeah, <laughs> it smelled bad. Yeah, yeah but, probably giving uh, us cancer. You know, I got used to it. So, yeah, so that was pretty much how I got got stumbled into the firearm uh, world and met this uh, guy, Joe Moody, uh, in a gun show in Jacksonville, who was, I guess, best friends with Reed Knight. Yeah. And he took me down there and introduced me to Reed and the gang. And next thing I know, I was one of their design engineers. Oh, yeah, you went to work at Knight's Armament. I remember that. And it was fun. Uh, Vero wasn't real appealing, but uh, what the experiences I had and the things I saw were, I mean, gosh, it was, it was great. Loved it. Yeah, Knight's, that's, um, they've done all the cool stuff. 
Oh, uh, just, man. you know, walking in. I had my desk in engineering department was, was I had like two Stoner 86s on the desk. I had the HK-69 grenade launcher on my desk. And one day these, they looked like the high school football team walked in. They all had khaki shorts and golf shirts on. And uh, they were like all over me, grabbing everything on my desk, and it was irritating. And Doug Olson was the uh, head engineer then back then. And he looked at me and he was shaking his head like, I looked at him like, well, who are these guys? And he was like waving his hands like, <laughs> don't get mad at them. Well, apparently that was one of the SEAL teams. Yeah. I had no idea. I mean, you see the movies where they all look like Jesse Ventura. These guys were look like the high school football team. Yeah. I, I, I had no idea. Yeah. So yeah, was, Reed's done it, a lot of cool stuff. It was cool. And hanging out with Reed. and It was funny because I'll tell you a little secret about Reed. Back in the Vero office, Reed had this long oval table, and we would have meetings. And it was Reed's way of finding out what the hell everybody was doing. So uh, I soon learned that if you sit right next to him, he doesn't yell at you. So if you're within touching distance... <laughs> So I watched him make, and I won't mention the name, uh, he had a retired uh, lieutenant colonel working there. He would make him cry once a week. <laughs> so Doug Olson yeah, Reed can out, be a hard ass. As yeah. long as we both sat next to him, he would we were be, safe. We were safe. He wanted to be able to look you in the eye. That, the, was, yeah. that was the safe zone right there. Yeah, it's funny. But yeah, uh, priceless experience. Uh, I mean, I had a blast. Yeah, where, um, so where'd you go from there? Uh, gosh, started SWR. Uh, more, I went from SWR, goofing around with Class 3 stuff, to, yeah. I met a guy named John Weaver, a super guy, he died in 1999. Oh, yeah, he, he died on a motorcycle. Yeah, he, bike was, week. he was on a, a, he had a Buell, but he was test driving one, and apparently the throttle stuck. Uh, the story I heard from his brother was that the bike hit a telephone pole, he spun out into the street and got run over. Oh, my God. And John was just a salt of the earth. So John kind of got me into the little suppressor thing. Yeah. So after I left nights, I started SWR literally in this two-car garage. Uh, nobody really wants to know my early offerings because I wish I could buy them all back and throw them away. <laughs> but, yeah, that's how I got my start in the, in the suppressor world. So it's the SWR that later became part of silencer co and then they absorbed the models and all that well stuff, that's what right? happened i was i was doing well with grip pod uh yes well that, okay so what, that was a separate thing so how how'd that get going well it was weird uh once again joe moody the guy that i met that introduced me to read night and uh he and i were were like brothers i mean just one of my best friends he had all these these ideas and a lot of them were kind of weird and I didn't yep. agree with him, but he had this idea for the grip on. He kept pushing me to help him develop it. And I kind of relented. I didn't want to do it. He pushed me into it. And uh, it once it got rolling, it took over. I mean, we made an enormous amount of money, and it was eating up all my time. So the SWR thing was, well, I'd offer all these people the, the quote-unquote lifetime warranty. Didn't need the money, didn't want the headache but I couldn't shutter the company because of the promise I made to my customers. So I gave it away to these three guys. One was a William Ellison who was machining some of my parts, a nice young class three dealer, Henry Graham, and uh, Matt Pallett who was friends with Robert Silvers. Yep. 
and he was a decreed engineer, used to work for Scott Korsky, nice guy. So I was like, well, this is perfect. I can give them the company. They'll take care of the pre-existing warranty and see how far they can take it. And that was it. I walked away. I think it was 07. Yeah. And uh, years, I don't know, four or five years later, they sold it off to Silencer Co. Yeah, I um, I thought that was a good move for Silencer Co. And I think it's it's proven as such because um, it seems like a lot of their um, still popular products are things that. Well, it was interesting. They they changed the logo right. I don't. Uh, I think I remember Henry telling me they never used my original logo. The dove with the bat wings and the pyramid. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think that conveyed with the sale. But uh, and you know they did a lot of things I wouldn't have done. They took really good baffle design and kind of changed it. Yeah. And uh, became this 800-pound gorilla in the marketplace. Why didn't they want to use your baffle design? Well, it's it's odd because I offered uh, Josh Waldron, the I guess then CEO, owner, president, whatever you want to call him, a silencer co, a royalty agreement on. The, they wanted my patent. So, for the baffle. Yeah, yeah. see, my three guys wanted me to just give up my... I had a 25% put option on the company, if anything ever... And my only intention there was, in case they got in a fight, disagreed, I could step in and maybe keep it together. Yeah. So when I found out, they called me one day and said, hey, we have a letter of intent, we're going we're gonna to sell the company. And from what I understood, within a few days, they'd already made, made the arrangements too late. Yeah. I actually offered them more money not to sell it. But yeah. They didn't want to take it. So they wanted me to give the patent to uh, to go along with the deal, and I was kind of like, well, you know, the, it's, it's a simple patent, but I just didn't feel that I should just give it away. Yeah. Well, were they all planning on going to work for Silencer Co., do you think? Well... Was that the reason? I think the driving force behind is Henry was... See, when I, when I gave them the company, I, did, I conceptualized that everyone would have their role. But it, from what I kind of saw from the outside was that Henry ended up being the everything. That everything yeah. kind of dumped in him or with him. So the I other think, guys still had full-time jobs. Yeah, or Matt whatever. was up. Matt's like an IT tech. William Ellison had Ellison Machine. Yeah. I think Henry was looking... I think a lot of this was... Uh, Hey, I want to go to work for Silencer Co. I want to further the SWR name and, yeah. and, and product. So I think a lot of this was, I think Henry, and I don't know this, drove a lot of this so he could kind of go do his thing. Yeah, they had resources. After I was thrown out of AAC, Silencer Co. quickly became yeah, the, the dominant brand in the market. Well, if you remember, they uh, and I, I remember this years ago, watched it, they adopted a lot of your marketing tactics and a lot of your the things that you did to make AAC popular. Um, yeah, I don't know. May, yeah, maybe relating to, like, younger customers and focusing on that and not being, you know, everything having to be tactical and all. I just kind of, <clears throat> uh, just from what I saw, they they, just, they, could, they took a uh, page out of your playbook. Yeah. Yeah, it, it worked for a long time. Um... Okay. Well, they did that. Um, they continued the SWR brand at Silencer Co. for some period of time. For a while. Because I remember asking Josh about it. 
And uh, he's like, oh, no, at least for a while we're going to keep it separate brands. I never really understood it at that point because, you know, SWR, I think, thanks to your designs, had a lot of great products, but Silencer Co. had built a huge name. Well, that's what was weird about it because uh, the Silencer Co., I remember, had the, uh, they had a cool little 22 can. They had a 45 can that kind of reminded me of the old offensive handgun suppressor that Knight submitted to the Navy years oh, ago. Oh, like the black box, the, the eccentric yeah. square can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, basically they purchased a company that had from 22 caliber to 50 caliber, so they had a whole, whole line. But they did continue with the SWR name. And then I guess they killed that off and they moved that into some accessory line. I think that at one point they were looking at optics and other things and that was going to be sold on the SWR name. Because I remember when Henry, when Henry left, I called him and I don't know under what terms he left or what the, what the intent was, but I asked him what he was going to do. Oh, yeah, because he was thrown out or something. Yeah, I, yeah, like I said, I never found out what happened. Yeah. I had pretty much ignored the suppressor market for 10 years. Yeah. And uh, the next thing I know, he had started Rugged. So Silencer Co. was directly involved or responsible for offshoot companies. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, they got rid of Henry. He started Rugged. Mm -hmm. um, they forced out um, Mike Pappas in kind of a shady deal um, who then went on to help start Dead Air, which is a great company. Both those companies, I, yeah, good companies. I like their products. Uh, guys seem good. Um, yeah, and I guess subsequently Josh Waldron's been thrown out of his own company, which I know how that goes. That's not fun. Yeah, I'd heard he, well, went to Blackhawk or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I read. Um, well, good for him. Um, so, the Grip Pod, so, so you've been doing Grip Pod for the last 10 years, Far basically, or so. Um, too long, huh? Far too long. Well, so then what's new? So now, um, you're wanting to get back into silencers. Well, it's a funny story. So, as I just previously told you, uh, I had ignored the suppressor market for a decade. Yeah. I didn't know what was up, who was doing what. And then uh, I met a guy in uh, where I was living in Naples, Florida, who was class three dealer, suppressor kind of aficionado. And I don't even know how I met him. And he came over and brought a bunch of suppressors and showed me all this, all the, the what would you call current offerings. And I thought to myself, you know, how how wonderful that this they were just beautiful, the the metallurgy, the the, the machining. I mean, I was like, wow. In 10 years, things really advanced. And then we started shooting, and I was like, okay, wait a minute. Things, well, I shouldn't say this. It's, this is not a blanket statement, but a lot of things didn't advance as far as the sound reductions. Yeah, I agree. I think I've talked about this before, and it's like, you know, when you and I were in this, you know, for 10 or 15 years in the beginning, because I, I think I probably started making silencers before you even, um, it's just chasing sound a lot. Like, well, we really thing. all chased sound for a long time, because there's maybe half a dozen of us. We all had the same meters. We didn't all always get along, but the stuff was always metered together, and it was a competition. Well, it's like a supercar. We're always chasing the fastest 0 to 60. Yeah. In this case, it was sound reductions. It was flame reductions. It was... 
weight, size. Yeah, I mean, at the time, it seemed like sound, and I think that's sort of evolved, and I think you're right. There's been a lot of advances, but, um, but you know, you and I have been doing it so long, we can listen to silencers without using a meter most of the time and right. sort of know where things well, it's are. It's funny, I was having this conversation, with, and we can get into this in a minute, with uh, my, new, my new business partner. Anybody can go on eBay and buy a B&K 2209. Oh, the old analog meter that everybody used to use. Yeah. But are these are they certified? I mean, are these Yeah, they don't even service them anymore. So I remember you and I went to uh, B&K in Atlanta years ago. Yeah. And they had a room, a pile of these meters, these 2209 analog meters in a, in a room. And we're like, wow, we were like, we thought we, we struck pay dirt. And the guy's like, yeah, none of those were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were they were running out of parts for and them. Remember, they were Kevin, not, yeah. We were like, well, we just want to buy two really good ones so we can test our offerings. And the guy's like, I think I might be able to build two to work. <laughs> yeah. So the joke to me is, and I'm not saying the Larson Davis is, uh, you know, it's better. It probably is. It's got to be. But the crazy part was, there's so much more to all of this than just buying a B and K meter and testing yeah. suppressors. Yeah, I, I had one of these YouTubers. Yeah, spout off some of that shit to me recently. Well, I got beer. Yeah, it's like, yeah, have you had well, you it calibrated? Have you had it? Because, you know, I, we were there because I live next to that, the B&K facility in Atlanta. Well, if you remember, I bought the uh, the, the mic. that They crowned the, the mic cap or something. They crimped it. So apparently it could go to 190 decibels. You didn't have to scale yeah. the readings. So I was like, oh, I got to have that. Yeah. Well, you remember, I was getting readings out of my nine can that was like 38, 40, and you're like, you're full of crap, Joe. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, the frickin' meter says it is. <laughs> yeah, and we metered it out, yeah. Yeah, so it, it just goes to show it, you. It is. Uh, you have to have side-by-side comparisons, but I think what to get back to what you said, you, you know, we did all the sound stuff for a long time, but, you know, I worked for the military with my old company for a long time, and, and what we realized was, very few times is the quietest thing the most important. Absolutely. Um, so, so I think the industry's kind of gone that way. But, you know, back when you and I were in it back in the late 90s, you know, we only had 100 customers, really. I, I mean, there were so few people buying silencers. And Little everybody pie, large that, pieces. Yeah, everybody <laughs> that bought a silencer knew silencers, you know. Yeah. They kind of had silencers and had heard them. But now I think it's so huge. Like, the industry has gotten so big the last decade um, you know, with silencers being legal in so many more states and hunting in so many more states, the the average buyer is still a first-time buyer now, and they've never heard other silencers. Right. So, you know, they shoot their 308, and it gives them a headache, and they get, like, an average silencer that's louder than stuff we were making 20 years ago, and they think it's great. Well, yeah, but it's just you've never heard something that's really quiet. Well, that's, what, that's why I felt that the industry really kind of went in the wrong direction, I mean, it's wonderful there's a, a new wave of buyers. Yeah. But, and I don't mean this derogatory, but a lot of the new buyers don't really understand what you and I knew or, or the buyers previously knew that, well, it's okay, per example, one of my pet peeves is it's, it's lower than 141 or 140 dB, so it's hearing safe. Well, that's yeah. bullshit. It, 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 it's time and exposure. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's like something can be 110 dB but be a constant, and you're getting hearing damage. People right. don't realize. And, that's, that. and I, I feel it, it's it's ridiculous for people to uh, to advertise. Well, our suppressors are below 140 dB, so therefore the hearing safe. Well, 
how much lower? Yeah, and where are you metering? Because, you know, it's, a pro- this is something you and I and most people that aren't ignorant to the whole thing would understand is, well, the mill standard and how it can, you know, it's like reading a few other guys like, hey, let's just set the meter here, and that's a new mill standard. Right. But being uh, left of the muzzle and a meter above the ground, like metering at the muzzle at 140, that doesn't tell you on a gas gun. It doesn't tell you within 10 dB necessarily what it is at the shooter's ear. And that, that's where you get hearing damage, and that's where it really matters. Well, I'll give you an example. So uh, my new venture with my new partner. The, oh, yeah, uh, so the new company. The new Go ahead company, with that. RMS2, it? so it was SWR. Name was sold, and to get back in, I was thinking, well, you know, I really like the old logo. I really like the, the shortness of the, of, the, of the name. So I was like, well, RMS2, so re, root mean squared. You know, that, that is a waveform. That's, that's an acoustic measurement for wattage. And I was like, well, this is cool. So I took SWR and flipped it over. Yeah. So, and, and the squared that's just cool. happens to be two for, like, second time around. Yeah. So I thought it was perfect. Yeah, that's good. But I, gu- I guess mine would be... CAA three or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was kind of cool, and I thought that people would uh, would recognize that you know the old guy gets back in the game and SWR RMS two, they'll they'll figure out what's going on. So that was the whole push behind it. Yeah, you know, I didn't call it uh, tough tough suppressors or you know whatever super full auto durable yeah, rated. I just, I just thought that was cool. Well, what? Um, well, okay. Well. Um, so what is the new company? Who are you doing it with, and, and what's unique about it? Well, it's going back to where uh, the guy I met in Naples showed up and brought a whole bunch of the newer offerings, and we were playing around. I had eight acres. You could shoot. I had a little berm. We could do whatever we wanted. Uh, I had an opportunity to see a lot of the newer stuff mm-hmm. from pretty much all the companies. He had a collection of everything. And there were things that were very surprising to me to where you know I hate to pick on the guys that have all the take apart cans you can play with and and all that but uh, a lot of it was just how can I put this it's like to me the suppressors became like accessorizing an AR-15 so there wasn't what do you mean well okay so per example and I said this the other day and I probably shouldn't have if so repeat it now. Perfect. If your suppressor sucks in the full-length configuration, <laughs> why would you want to offer a K version? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's one of those things where we think where you and I are like silencer queers. It's like, oh, it should be really quiet. Well, some people just want it to look cool. Well, and that's what I ran into. And, yeah. and this is tr- true. And you've, you you know, you've played that, uh, that look cool to, I mean... Oh, I'm that sorry. hurts. That hurts. Nothing looks cooler to me than the uh, the director stuff. Oh, the director? Yeah, it's and, actually. You know, I was fortunate cool. I enough here a couple months ago to hear the director nine. And for all you people listening, if you're wondering if it's good, can, are we allowed to cuss on this? Yeah, we can it's do whatever. Real we, fucking good. Yeah, we can do whatever we want. <laughs> I heard it. It's yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, you know that was the goal for me. It's hard to go back. You know, when you think about. The Tyrant 9 silencer that I did at AAC and the Element 2 silencer, um, you know, they're 10 years old and they're still like industry standards. Um, there have been some 22 silencers that are almost as small and as quiet as the, the Element 2, but I've never heard a pistol can that's as good as the Tyrant 9. We're talking, we did that 10 years ago. But it's it's not because, and I've said it before, you know, that I was like a huge genius. We just spent a year 
working on it. Well, I remember you telling me years ago, I mean, you you and uh, Mike came down to my shop, well, my, my two-car garage in, in Evans, Georgia, and you you expressed to me just how the little minute changes were so important to you because it yeah. a few of those made a big change. Yeah. Uh, I, I think even with the team I have at Q now, it is, you know, everybody... You know, I, I don't have your intellect or the guys that work for me, and um, in a lot of ways, you know, I'm not a degreed engineer, but I've been around a long time, and I'm a reasonably smart guy, and I think with metallic cartridge stuff, whether it's firearms or the silencers, you just, everybody, somebody every year claims some huge right. breakthrough, and I think it's all bullshit. I think the course for me has always been identify something we don't really like or that might be an issue and prove that thing. Improve it a little. It doesn't have to be 100% better. It can be 10% better. Then the next thing, 10% better. And at the end of the day, we end up with a product that's much better overall. Exactly. And that's what I meant. You, it, The little changes add up to a one big change. Yeah. Oh, I'll give yeah. you an example. And for the people out there in the, in the podcast world listening to this, so... Back when I was doing the suppressors, I was using Special K 9mm subsonic for my 9 cans. Oh, he was making the Vitivori powder real quiet 9 And style. let me tell you what, it's, it was, and I guess the, the modern equivalent to that since Alabama Ammo is out of business is the Hush. Well, yeah. Okay, so. If yeah, you, the readings that people claim with that Hush ammo are unbelievable. Well, that's what I mean. Okay, so if you use specialty ammo like hush or alabama am ammo special k you're going to typically meet a really good results but what i noticed about what you were doing is years ago you're using winchester white box okay yeah which, and now you're using fiocchi and, and other ammos but you're getting metering results that other manufacturers would have to use the lower powered ammo to achieve and that was the big lesson I learned. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, no, I just always thought, um, you know, we all have our reputations. But for, for me, I think I generally think consumer-wise more than a lot of people. And, you know, I don't care if you can get specialty ammo and I can get on some fags YouTube channel and show where my silencer's 100 dB. What I care about is a consumer, the first time you either pick our rifle up what you think about it, or the first time you fire our silencer with ammo that you can find, what is your impression? Like, I don't care. Like, it's great to have dealers and distributors, and they're important to us, but my real loyalty is is to the customer. And that's what I always thought because, you, you know, it's, it's for instance, kind of on a, on a different note, um, this year we're, we're putting um, our fix, our bolt-action rifle, it, the 6.5 gun is now 16 inches in a lightweight barrel. And part of the reason is it's very practical, and I hunt a lot and kill stuff with that. And another reason is I like uh, the lightweight compact barrel because when you pick the gun up, it gives you that first impression. But I think sound-wise, the same thing. We use Winchester White Box because it was the affordable, relatively inexpensive stuff that it was you the could, Walmart ammo. Yeah, the Walmart go, ammo that was subsonic. Yeah, right. so that's what people are going to get. So I don't care what you get with some specialty load. I care what... You know, the guy in Meridian, Mississippi at the Walmart can get. Well, that, and that was my point, that years ago when we were kind of all stuck with this certain kind of... And don't get me wrong, Special K was great ammo. Oh, yeah, it's good. But at the same time, 
the guy that goes and buys the white box and, and has a suppressor that was pretty much tailor made around one ammo, he's upset because it's not that quiet. Can be quiet with that ammo, but when he compares it to his buddy's silencer that's not advertised as good with regular ammo, well, it's the and same. That's the yeah. lesson I learned. That, uh, and that's I've taken a lesson from your. Uh, right now, our all of our stuff is being manufactured and tested with Fiocchi. G2 Lawman, you know, it's still subsonic, but it is not some kind of, and I shouldn't yeah. say trick ammo, but. I mean, it sort of is, but, um, but I mean, it's available. I get it. But, I, I mean, I will say still to this day, like, I only heard about Hush Ammo, like, within the last year. I don't know how long it's been around or whatever. But All I saw was it was smoky, and it was, was very unpleasant to, to fire. So nothing uh. against Hush Ammo, but. I, I didn't care. Well, for it. I don't even know if it's it's still around. I assume it is, but you know, like those things don't concern me. It's just like with twenty two, you know, I use CCI standard velocity. Yeah. And we don't try to find the quietest ammo, <clears throat> at good quality, because twenty two the consistency is much harder to find than with the center fire ammo. Well, who but, would ever thought the company that brought you Blazer would make the <laughs> best twenty two ammunition? Yeah. You know. Well, I think for the money, and so it's just good to stick with. It's always been very consistent, and it's something that people can find and you, you know oh, I like agree. i tried to even use cheaper rimfire ammo but all that like remington cheap shit people you know i realized like what i found out when i went to work for remington after they bought my company was all like um the subsonic ammo and some of the other like budget ones were basically all their rejects from their better quality ammo their target ammo they the put powder them in. that went in remington subsonic 22 was swept up off the floor and, and thrown in the shells i think i think that's <laughs> i think that's an exaggeration but i don't think it's far from the truth about, like, of the idea like right. i think it varies so much because it, it's it's uh reject from like their target ammo right is what it is yes. um which you know it's cool because people could buy it for eighty nine cents a box, but it, it, it's kind of like uh, with our with our fixed rifle. It, it's funny somebody sent me a link to a form the other day. The gun's three thousand dollars, so it's pretty expensive. But if you compare it, it's a bolt gun. And you compare it to a a custom Remington seven hundred that could be six grand. It's not expensive. It's more, more right. the fix is a great value. But um, a guy was saying, oh, well, with this ammo, the gun's only shooting two inches, and and. Several people responded that had the gun saying, you know, um, you idiot, why would you buy a $3,000 gun and buy the cheapest ammo available? Well, think about this. Why would you like, buy a transferable M16 and, and shoot reloads through it? It's yeah, or a principle. Ferrari and get tires on sale. <laughs> yeah, put 83, you know, 87 octane gas. Yeah, it's same thing. So uh, there is some of that. But, okay, so the new company. Uh, tell me about that, RMS2. So, so who's involved? What are you doing? What are the plans? What are the goals? Well, it's uh, <clears throat> the guy I met in, in Florida, Jeff Coriel. Uh, he's a silencer lover. I mean, he just, he was really trying to set up in South Florida to be a kind of a silencer distributor like Capital Armory or, yeah. or Hanson Brothers. And he's just, you know, great guy, just never really took off. But he introduced me to a young brilliant young guy his name's Kyle Grobe Kyle yeah, yeah. and uh, Kyle's probably one of the few people I've ever met that actually gets it he understands how suppressors work and a lot of people don't he does uh, I'm not super familiar with his background he was like he's a welding expert he's he 
CNC guy. I yeah, mean, he definitely nuclear. can weld. Yeah, he's just a smart guy, and he's done a lot for the industry behind the scenes. There's a lot of existing companies that use him for his knowledge. Yeah, he's just a smart guy. Yeah, for welding for sure. So yeah. I was introduced to him, and uh, we hit it off. And I had already planned on trying to do something with kind of re-enter the express market. And oh, you had already planned. Yeah, okay. yeah. I pitched my idea to him, and he's like. He owned KG Made. He still does own KG Made Suppressors. And his thing was lightweight precision, like titanium. Yeah. Precision shooting. You know, he's got a nice 22 can. He's ventured out on other things. But he was up for it, and I was like, okay, well, look. <clears throat> what do you think? And he's like, look, I could take your old Omega Baffle, and I can make it better. I'm like, well, wow, that'd be great, because I stopped trying to do anything better on that <laughs> as yeah. soon as I started selling them. Yeah. You know, this is the best I can do. So so anyhow, he uh, <clears throat> he's made some pretty good uh, drives in changing my original idea. And we, we're, you know, we're kind of a startup. We're, we're somewhat on a shoestring budget. But he is, there's some cool stuff coming. Yeah, um, you're looking at a full product line? We are, and it was weird because at first I wanted to just start out with, you know, just 22s, whatever, just ease into the market. He's like, look, he said, there's a there's a giant void in the market for a 5.56 can. And I was like, okay, we'll make that. Well, literally within a month or two of the word getting out, we had some, some of the professional operators contact us, and they're... They're actually T and E in our first offering. Oh, that's cool. So that was kind of neat. And right now we're working on a nine. We're we're working on a new type of Nielsen device, which is basically based off the old lid or whatever Dater named it. But yep. Greg and right. I did that. And uh, then we've got a little shorty three hundred eight can or thirty cal can. It's doing pretty well. So yeah, we're we're literally getting a start right now. And we're having to work around the fact that I don't want to start putting a, fun, a bunch of fancy machining and milling and, and crap on the, on the can just to get commercial sales. What do you mean? Well, the one thing I noticed when I, when I peeked back in here a year and a half, two years ago, was there's a lot of cans that look really, really cool. I mean, just... Yeah? Oh, you know, for example, okay. there's... Uh, uh, Jeff had brought over, I can't even remember the name of the company. There was a company in Utah that was making an AK specific suppressor. It came in a Pelican case, had all kind of tools with it, and it was just insanely cool looking. But it just didn't perform. Yeah. So our balancing act is we want to make, and Kyle came up with this, this built for battle. We want to make something that is built for battle, strong, beyond belief. You know, you could, you could punish it. But at the same time, how do you make it appealing to the new generation of buyers to where, okay, this doesn't look cool. It's just a tube. Yeah. It performs really well. It'll hold up to pretty much anything. But, you know, I'm used to seeing all these doodads and stuff on it, these, these end caps that probably take four hours to machine. Oh. Yeah, some of that. I mean, I know with the, the AAC stuff years ago, you know, the steps I put on the outside of the rifle silencers, that is functional, but, you know, we could have tapered the tube and you wouldn't have had the steps, and it's probably better. Yeah, but see, better. you kind of started the whole, 
tired of the mundane, tired of looking at this. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think I saw a night silencer on like the cover of Newsweek or something with that girdle on there. I was like, oh, like right away, you know, it's a night silencer. Don't I'm like, ask me why the girl's there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or the rotating clip that uh, I came up with in, in like 15 minutes because we were in a panic yeah. that they're still using. But yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's I think it's wonderful to have really, really cool looking stuff because that's what sells. Nobody's going to buy an ugly car. You know, most of us don't want to end up with an ugly wife. <laughs> so, but well, it's really hard to step back in the market and, and do both without stepping on other people's toes because most of it's already been done. For example, your record. Yeah. I don't think there's a cooler looking suppressor on the market. That's interesting. Or the new Silence Co. Switchback, which, you know, I, I upset a few people. I said it looked like a flashlight. <laughs> yeah, it does. Well, Surefire has very good styling. So, um, yeah, you know, that was one thing I had a problem with 22. It's like the dead air mask is a really great 22 silencer. It's my it favorite. It's got a wonderful tone. It'll it'll take anything you put through it. But, you know, where do you go from there? Well, I just think, you know, it weighs as much as like a 223 can. So that that's a problem that I have right now. Like a lot of this whole you know super durable stuff when they want to make a rifle can that's an inch and a half in diameter make it really durable it ends up super heavy right and you know i don't know how many people are shooting machine guns these days like i i I think practically like i just shoot practically now like i'm not chasing well well, nothing against henry but i kind of have to laugh because i think i'm the one that came up with belt fed rated and that's one of their slogans yeah now maybe i'm wrong but i kind of remember that and uh well, and that's great if it'll hold up to a M240 belt fed, but like you just said, how many people have an M240? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, they don't... And how many people can afford to... I don't know how many rounds it would take to, to burn it down, but, well, it kind of defeats the purpose. I think so. I mean, I, I shoot and hunt a lot, and if I can cut the weight on my muzzle in half, because I tell you, on a semi-auto or a... Bolt action 308 with a 16 inch barrel. Like, you can't wear a titanium silencer out. Nope. And so, why in the world would you want a Stellite one that's going to weigh twice as much? It makes no sense. Well, I agree. And it's especially unless somebody comes to you and says, Look, I want something that'll go a thousand rounds full auto out of my 240 without harming it. Why would you bother overbuilding something like that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I mean, I, I think all that full auto rated is a marketing thing. Or, like, if you build a twenty two silencer, you have 10 assholes who are like, is it 5.7 rated? Well, I, you know, who yeah, Well, who, people don't realize cares? this, but uh, an all-aluminum uh, twenty two can will handle 5.7 <laughs> just fine. <laughs> well, you know, I remember... Somebody um, made uh, aluminum bad 17.4 good, and I don't know who did it, but they're, it worked. Well, back in the day... 17.4 or, at 800 degrees Fahrenheit loses 50% of its tensile strength. It's not some miracle stainless material. Well, you remember Cener, uh, who I don't know if he's dead or in prison now or something, but... Oh, remember he, the cookie lady? Yeah, those were good. <laughs> Knob Creek, his girl, little girlfriend, make cookies, sell them at Knob Creek. Um, but remember, his fifty caliber silencer was aluminum. You remember the... Uh, well, what was I have old? one of his 5.56 five, cans. Remember the aluminum. old Aberdeen can yeah. from Vietnam was had I, one baffle and the whole thing was aluminum. I got one from you or John Weaver. It had a little vent thing on the back of it or something so 
Yeah, and especially now, there's so many high, vast technology coatings. And that's kind of where Kyle's uh, sharp on all this. He's Kyle's into all the new latest technologies. He's working with some uh, coding companies and uh, some pretty, and I don't know anything about this, but uh, he's pretty up on uh, different molecular coatings. And we're not talking Cerakote. We're talking about baffle treatments, things where you could actually yeah. enhance lighter weight materials, make them stronger, yeah, more durable, <clears throat> prevent yeah. them from uh, erosion from particulate. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, 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 he's kind of... Uh, really he's got me thinking so he's uh, cool. and it's it's embarrassing because he, one of my friends says well he's like a young version of you Joe and I'm like yeah he's at that age he's got a lot more going for him than I do <laughs> far more and it was funny yeah. I was talking to Chris Hansen the other day and Hansen Brothers and very nice man and he's like oh you know Joe you're a legend I'm like yeah I'm a has-been <laughs> <laughs> well you, you, you know the ability to consume information and stuff, it's just so easy now to compared to oh, 20 years ago when, you know, there wasn't stuff online for everything. The world's everything. at your fingertips with, with yeah. a smartphone That's where cool. years ago we had to go to a payphone to call somebody. Or yeah, or you had to actually Advertising was do in a magazine. <laughs> social media. Yeah. I mean, things have come well, a long way. Yeah, I love progression. Well, what, um, oh, hell, let's talk about some older stuff. Um... You know, back in the day, uh, there was, like, me and you, and there was Jim Tech. Um, there was, what's that guy's name? Doug Melton? Wasn't he, like... Yeah, SRT. Yeah. He's <laughs> I, such a goober. i got to tell you a quick story about Doug. Okay, and this, you know, Doug, if you hear this, I'm sorry, buddy, but this is, you know, you brought it on yourself, bro. He's a goober. So he, uh, he was all over Bowers Board. Talking about how his new Bowers board. So it was subguns.com was one of the yeah. forums. He called me up one day. My my firstborn son was like wearing his little 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 padded hat because he kept falling down, hitting his head. <laughs> I'm on the back porch, and he calls me. He's like, Joe, you know, you got to help me. You got to help me. I'm like, Well, what, dude? He's like, Man, my my 30 cal suppressor sucks. I was like, Dude, three days ago you were telling everybody on Bowers that you were you were slaying me. So what can I do for you? Yeah, he he and, always thought and, a lot. Of and himself. he's like, Well, it, 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 I was like, Okay, so he, I said, Just put a porthole here and do this, do that. And he, like next day he called me back. And said, Oh, thanks, brother, because man, now it's quieter than yours. I'm like, You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, there were a lot of very interesting personalities in the suppressor business. And uh, yeah, sure. it was different. It was like a, a little. Um, I don't know what it was like. A bunch of freaking hippies. Um, who else was around? Uh, who was the, there was a guy in Florida that started up for a little while. I can't remember his name. Uh, God, who was the guy that was in California, Kevin, that was... he? Oh, LaFrance? LaFrance, Tim LaFrance. Yeah, yeah, God, that stuff was such a pile of shit. And then you had uh, John Leisure. You remember that name? Leisure. Leisure, okay. Yeah, yeah interesting the, odd guy. Um, yeah, he did some interesting stuff. Don Walsh was before him. So back then, though, there were just like a, a few people. Remember, everybody, like, it's so funny, thought, um, idolized Phil Dater and thought he was so incredibly brilliant. And, uh, oh, yeah. oh God, his time's gone on. He was not much count. Well, that was the thing. You know, and it's, it's sad because 
for years and years and years, I had been friends with Phil. I'd been friends with Greg Lotka and Jimmy Ryan. Yeah, these guys, those guys were all the the partners, primary owners of Gym Tech at the time. And Phil and I used to speak on the phone a lot. I mean, I always just, you know. Hey, very charming guy. Friend-wise, uh, and it was funny because we were at Knob Creek many, many years ago, and I ran it, you know, Greg Lotka. Yep. Who, come to find out, pretty much designed most of the Gemtech stuff, machined most of the Gemtech stuff, and... Yeah, because his family had a machine shop. Yeah, they, they were doing aerospace stuff for uh, Aeroquip. I don't know, yeah. So, but, yeah, I mean, it's just... If people only knew the real beginnings of all of this. Yeah, because I got... Um, I originally was a Gemtech distributor, an AWC distributor. That's when I first met you, you you brought all you and Mike. Mm-hmm. Remember we went? Oh, to, the Raptor uh, Forty. You went to? Uh, we went to Alan Kirshner, old friend of mine. Yeah, strange. yeah, he's a doctor. Yeah. And and the, the biggest thing I, I took away from that visit was you insisted on going to the Jiffy Mart or Seven Eleven. We got Coke Slurpees, and they were like wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like me. But you brought down the Gemtech stuff, and I was like, wow, you know, I was I was really blown away. Yeah, yeah, they they kind of AWC was a primary commercial brand, then Gemtech sort of took that over. Um, I think they started in about '94, and so by like '95 or so, they were pretty popular, and they'd done some yeah. cool stuff. Um, but you yeah. remember, I got to I got to watch Advanced Armament take over the known universe. I mean, you guys just steamrolled the whole industry. Oh, that's so awesome to hear. Thank that you. That was just like, well, wow. You know how that started was I wanted to buy. So I was there. I was half of their business. I was um, their biggest distributor, obviously. And I was getting so into silencers and came up with ideas like the Raptor 40. I did that for... I don't know who it could have been the fbi or somebody that i had met and so i wanted the raptor nine or they had a silencer called the raptor that was a three lug silencer for the mp5 and i wanted to do a 40 caliber and um we made a deal and and they kind of screwed me over on that deal and then for the dea i wanted to do colt they had colt nine millimeter smgs and i wanted to do uppers for those and i sold them to them and um they did the same thing there and uh I wanted to buy part of the company, and I think Greg Latka didn't want me involved. And um, yeah, that's a sad thing because I remember Greg was—he was 110% Gemtech. He would do anything for Phil. They were—they were best friends. It's kind of like what happened to me with my former business partner that I didn't see it coming. Yeah, I really didn't. It—it it shocked me, and it's, it's a shame because it's hard losing a friend over over a business. It really, it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, um, you know, they kind of screwed me over. And I remember I was on the phone with Phil one day and I said, make this right. Um, or I'll start my own company. And I remember I got so angry. Phil Dater like laughed aloud at me on the phone. No way. And, uh, told me to go ahead. And, uh, that's when I started advanced armament and, so my and my sole goal at first was I just wanted to replace I didn't want to deal with Gemtech anymore but I wanted to be able to continue to sell that volume of product I was in a retail gun store at the time and um, like my goal if it hadn't been for Phil Dater and those guys being dishonest to me and treating me poorly and screwing me over I wouldn't have started advanced armament and my goal was to really kick him in the nuts right. and, and in the end um, you know it worked out good I mean 
Yeah, I think AAC did dominate the silencer industry, and I oh, think brought a lot of awareness. I watched it. I saw it begin. I saw it coming, and you, you were like a tsunami. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's well, you know, and we sold, what, 10 years before them for probably four or five times as much money. Well, so. look at all the people that you sold to through Advanced Armament. I mean, you were the go-to for the military, the three-letter groups. I mean, you yeah. pretty much dominated that market. Yeah, we did and good. That was Remington cool. screwed the whole thing up. <laughs> well, that, yeah. Imagine that. Everybody they bought, they uh, kind of didn't do well with. Yeah, they, they aren't good at um, acquisitions. Did you, uh, God, I hadn't thought about Al Paulson in a long time. You know, I hadn't seen Al in many, many, many years. And I remember poor Al was always in, in bad health. It's just, he was such a great guy. Yeah, he was. He's, uh, hopefully he's still alive. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either, but then it kind of, I don't know. He, he was a bit of a line to be. Al was great, and he was great for the industry. And I, um, yeah, I hope he's still around. His, what was his wife's name? Polly or something? I, I don't remember. Um, but, uh, yeah, so for those of you that don't know, before the Internet, Al was writing all the articles for, like, Guns and Weapons for Law Enforcement, Machine Gun News. Yeah, all that. And was testing and reviewing silencers. And um, I remember he did an article on a little wet twenty two can once, and he tested it dry, tested it with grease, with oil, and then with water and with urine. <laughs> and he even tested it with urine. In it. See, my, uh, my ablative of choice, and I'm not sure that's the right term, was saliva, spit. Yeah, spit in it. I just always use a water bottle cap full of water. Um, but, yeah, he used to write those articles. Oh, he would come stay at my house for, like, six weeks at a time. And I would, you know, this is funny. Back in um, Phil and Jim Tech, well, so once I started, we started kicking their ass. There was always people don't realize, but in printed media, if you can find old guns and weapons for law enforcement or machine gun news or anything, there were always head-to-head comparisons on silencers by Al Paulson. And when we started kicking Jim Tech's ass, Phil Dater threatened to pull his advertising for Jim Tech to all the editors oh, of these no magazines. Yeah, that's how it stopped. Oh. If it didn't stop doing side-by-side comparisons because we were beating them and everything. Wow. And um, so what a bunch of horse shit that was. But what the industry didn't realize at the time, because we didn't have social media really to tell them, was Al would come to my house and he would, I had a range and he would spend like six weeks at my house and he would spend two weeks doing articles on our stuff and I would give him my full collection. So uh, Jim Tech was mad at him because he did an article and it showed that our silencer, whatever, nine millimeter pistol silencer, whatever it was, was better than their offering. Um, So they blackballed him. So I would give him Knight's Armament silencers. I would give him Gym Tech silencers. Right. Everybody's to do articles on. And this was even after um, they stopped head-to-head comparisons, which sucked for the cu- customer. You know, right. the guy reading their magazine used to could read real comparisons, and they stopped doing it. And I thought, and then I eventually stopped advertising in the magazines because I just thought it was bullshit. Like, yeah, this wasn't right. Y- you know, you, you, you should, the consumer should be able to hear these comparisons. Um, you know, and Al wasn't, and so they claimed I was paying Al off and all that stuff, which, you know, people always do shit like that or claim those things, and I wasn't. We were just working hard to beat them, and we were. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm well aware of people make stuff up and they don't like you. <laughs> yeah. my, one of my former business partners uh, made up some big whoppers. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Yeah, well, what, um, I don't know. Well, what are you going to do, uh... 
Okay, let's say, you're, but back to your new company, your mounting systems for your rifle cans, what are you going to do for that? Well, it's interesting. So, uh, Kyle, who is friendly with the CGS group, he's friendly with Dead Air, and there's some standard mounts out there that everybody likes, A, uh, ASRs or whatever they call them. So, what we're finding is that people have these different mounting systems and it's so our our first our hopi our 5.56 millimeter uh hopi what does that mean what is that so kyle is part choctaw indian tim so, mcgraw wrote a song about that so we're sitting around my pool bar in florida one day talking about well we got to come up with cool names for the suppressors and it's like well you know sasco kind of kept all my old cool names so we can't use those and Jeff had mentioned, well, <clears throat> why don't we give them Choctaw names? And the biggest problem we're having now is when you convert, let's say, the word silence or wind or dark, black, whatever, ghost, anything that sounds cool, into Choctaw, it sounds like Yul Brenner. What do you mean? Well, for example, there's uh, the Choctaw name for warrior is Yuli. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hopi, I can't remember what it, what it means. Hopi sound cool, but when you when you try to convert or translate uh, into the Choctaw language something like shadow or dead whatever, it's this goofy-ass word. Well, just make it like ladybug or something. Right, well, that's uh, sound, almost whatever what Whatever Hopi word sounds, so or Choctaw's uh, name sounds like cool. Like Nokale or... Yuli, and he's like, well, I really, I'm like, <laughs> Yuli. That's, that's hard to deal with, brother. Well, you know what I realized back at AAC in the early days, uh, we had a 45 boosterless wet can for a pistol named the Orion. And um, people would call me and be like, can you tell me about the Orion silencer? And I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> like, I graduated college, but it was difficult. Or and then, like, the, the average guy calling... So you could be I the always think. Instead what's of the, that? You could be the Oneaters instead Oneaters. of the Wonders. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I just think like don't make names difficult for people to pronounce and right. stuff. And now, so I don't know. And that's kind of our whole marketing strategy. I thought, uh, you know, using the Hopi symbols, using the Hopi conversion names would be really cool. You know, give lend credence to the to the Indians, but we're having a hard time coming up with with cool Hopi names right now. So, oh, or Choctaw. Choctaw names. Choctaw. That's Choctaw. like a. That's a cool name. Just name everything that. Yeah. Choctaw but, one uh, two three. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of what we're doing. Yeah. Marketing's tough, man. There's uh, like, the, uh, <laughs> you know, my wife says this, and she's told me this for twenty years. She goes, whatever you do marketing wise, copy what Kevin's doing because it works. <laughs> well, God bless her. I mean, I think it is something that like, it's one of my few gifts. Like I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at marketing, but it's one of those things yeah, where marketing is sort of good. bullshit. Like you can't quantify. How, how many people got have AAC tattoos because of you? Ooh, three hundred, oh, I think. Going, that's because we shut it off. Dude, you're gonna yeah. smoke a turn hell. <laughs> well, I don't know. You and I are old. We didn't get tattoos, but a lot of young people just Man, get them. You, you, you run into me with a marker, and I'm trying to rub that <laughs> shit off. Well, my buddy Kyle, he's got he's got sleeves. No, oh, he's, he's got tats. He's yeah, part of that generation. I don't really have that stuff, but um, you know, I think it's like that's that kind of creativity, you know, like artistic creativity. You just can't really teach, and 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 I don't I don't know, but um, I agree. The marketing stuff, I've always 
you know, because there's just such a balance. And it, it's funny because marketing agencies and PR, they contact me and stuff about things. And I'm just like, well, if you can quantify it, like I'll give you a million dollars if you can show me how it's going to make me a million. But like right. all marketing's bullshit. And all these agencies use, oh, well, we, we've, um, you know, they've got all sorts of uh, analytics and stuff they can show you from social media. Now this is what we're going to do. And it's like, well, why the hell would I want to be like everyone else? Like I'm competing in a market. Like I want to stand out. But there is a fine line with not making things too different or too absurd um, and still being successful. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Marketing's a tricky one. Oh, I agree. And, and there's no and solid formula. Business that, no, it's it, naming things is a very difficult part I mean, of my I'm, business. Like I said, Sosco's got all my cool names: Spec War, Omega. They they yeah. they they pretty much bought it all on the cheap. Yeah, and then times change. Like I don't, you know, something that's cool today isn't tomorrow, and um. Yeah, the marketing stuff is hard, but I, I think I did learn that, like, with the Orion. I still remember that. Like, I would get so many people call me and say, Orion. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus. Like, this is not a difficult word. <laughs> that's too funny. Um, hmm. But, yeah, that's what we're trying to do, Kevin. We're uh, re-entering a very large, it's a vast market. There's a lot of great players in it. It's, so, my take is, the pie's big, but the pieces are small. Where it used to be a, you know, it was polar opposite. Yeah. Well, who who are what are some products or companies that you like now? Uh, I really, <coughs> you know, I tell you what, it's uh, I think Todd McGee and Mike Pappas are two of the nicest people I've ever met. Dead air guys. Yeah, I don't I don't know Todd. Mike is definitely cool. They're like just awesome guys. Yeah. Uh, you know. Gosh, what what can I say? There's uh, I like you guys. I've met all your well, staff, you. your engineers. What do you got? Eight of them now. I don't know. It's a lot, and you're doing cool things. But yeah, uh, I mean that's a lot. You know, we're doing the guns and all too, and a lot of accessories and different stuff. So it's a little different. I mean, uh, you know, the silencers I don't spend as much time on as I would love, but I think we offer the best stuff right now for a practical use. But we just have so much experience, Ethan and I, that. Right, you know, we don't have to spend tons of time. It's like your taper system; it 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 works. Yeah, it's funny because I I remember telling Henry uh, years ago when they were first taking over SWRs, like, look, wouldn't it be cool, you know, like a gas regulator on an argon valve? Wouldn't it be cool to have these two ball taper seats? That it's it's a good Mm -hmm. seal. And uh, next thing you know, it wasn't the ball, the radius seat; it was the taper. Well, it does the same thing. So, you're not crudding up your threads. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did it backwards the first time at AAC. I put the threads in front of the taper, and that was stupid and wrong. And it's funny to see how many companies have copied it now. You know, the uh, you mentioned the the ASR from Silencer Co. I think it's ASR is their mail. You know, that's it's a total violation of the AAC patent. But, you know, like, they're just fortunate that Remington and AAC are so screwed yes, up. I had no idea. That they wouldn't sue it. But, yeah, you, it, it's like threads and then the engagement, the, the um, like, the teeth being a circumference. Um, yeah, they're, they're we'll violating that this. patent. Once, Remington's too stupid to go after them. Well, think about this. These people are calling their mounts quick, quick, quick attach, quick detach. Yeah, we even call ours quickie, and it's so dumb because it's not. But but none of theirs are either. Okay, so you know, getting back to Gemtech, yeah, who cares? And all that, about it's it. a bylock 
which was basically the uh, you know uh, a twist on the the, the three lug. Yeah, it, it's uh, um, it's it's quick on, quick off. Yeah, it's like an infield bayonet, like yeah. the two opposing lugs. So to me, that's truly quick detach. Yeah, so, but the downside is it's heavy, it's weak, it gets stuck, and it's oh, it's yeah. wobbly well, on. Trust me, that's it's wobbly I, on the muzzle, so you don't get the accuracy and my bylock get more point of impact. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you put them on your gun. The pistons were driving in. The O-rings were seizing. I had to make special tools for the government to take them apart. Well, Greg Greg changed that. He had a a stationary disc that drove forward instead of the piston. But like you said, it's still heavy. It's still large. Yeah, a lot of parts. There's really no way to make it lightweight and strong. So, you know, getting back to your system, well, it's like obsidian. As long as it locks up solid and it's repeatable, who cares if it's quick detach? Yeah, I mean, somebody messaged me actually today on our Instagram about, hey, do you make a... And I don't know if they reference the bylock, but just something like it, like you stick it on and just turn it half turn and it locks on, you know, spring-loaded thing, and I'm just like, no, it's gross. But people don't realize. And, like, when you do that, you know, the tapers... And having the thing mount rigidly, you get less point of impact shift, you get better accuracy, consistent, all these things. And you're right. Like, if it takes you three seconds rather than half a second to put it on or take it off. But you know what? With that taper and being in front of the threads, you can get it off every time. Absolutely. You don't have, you you know, the Surefire and maybe the Knight's Manual, but definitely the Surefire, if the silencer gets stuck because you just have this long cylinder where it's an engagement surface, so copper and carbon build up right. on there you can't get it off it says to fire like disengage the latch fire a live round through it and then go pick it up downrange right like to shoot, me that's bullshit for shoot consumer it, shoot use. it off the gun if you want to retrieve you can yeah which if you're in the military like whatever maybe but um consumer products where you have to spend a year of your life going through the process and spend a thousand bucks that's dumb oh i agree well what do you think about the uh and this has been around for decades now the big army, the big Marine Corps want, well, rumored to want to suppress as many true portable weapons as possible. Do you think that's ever going to be a reality? Yeah, I, I think all guns will be suppressed eventually. I don't think it makes sense to to not have them be suppressed. Do you but think they'll ever understand that the suppressor is a consumable item like a barrel? Yeah, I think they'll continue to go down like this OSS road and all this dumb shit, and they'll waste millions of dollars. People will be embarrassed in the military for making these choices, and then eventually they'll come around. Right. Yeah, um, just because it has a serial number, but also realizing, like, this is one of the only countries in the world where you can own firearms, but then silencers are regulated. Yeah. Like, that's dumb. Um, But, yeah, it can't be treated. It has to be treated treat it as a consumable, like you said. Um, I mean, otherwise, it's ridiculous. Well, think about this. Okay, so case in point. Like, I saying have, your tires that will last 300,000 rounds. Right. Well, or miles, 300,000 miles. For example, I mean, people buy a tire because it'll last 50,000, 60,000 miles. Well, they could buy something that lasts 10,000 miles that would give them 100%, well, 90% better traction, but they'll go for the mileage. Well, that's... Very not. That's the opposite of what makes sense. Well, yeah. I mean, I think with that, people would buy on that too, and it's sort of the thing they do with silencers. But who keeps a car that long? 
Like, oh, every time I'm like, I'm going to keep a car. Like, I keep a car 100,000 miles. Inevitably, at 100,000 miles, there's a problem with it. And then, like, I need it to be reliable. And, like, I, I do okay. Well, I, I make okay money. Like, I'm not going to be breaking down the way to work. Or, you know, something happens and my woman, like, wrecks the car or something. I got to get a new one. Like, I don't need 300,000-mile tires. I need, like, 40,000-mile tires that are really good. Okay, so translate that to the suppressor industry. So you sell a suppressor to a consumer. That consumer expects that thing to last forever and ever and ever. And if something goes wrong, no matter what, whether their rifling's burnt out or worn out, rather, when, how do you change the mindset of the buyer to where, look, this is kind of like a muffler on a car. Mufflers wear out. Yeah, they got to have skin in the game. But you know what I find with our stuff, though? Like, you went, well, not you so much because you don't really leave your house. But most of us, (laughs) most of us. Why do you come to your shop and buy cool shit? (laughs) (laughs) One time. Um, Next week, I'm going to buy something else. All right. Um, But most of us drive our cars every day. You know, most people. And it's still, guns are like a cool thing. Like, I, I, and I was into that for a long time, but now I'm older and I don't really care. So now I hunt and shoot for, right. uh, cause it brings me pleasure, not because of anything <clears throat> else. But, um, well, guess my point, my, Kevin, was. Well, people don't shoot their guns. I so think, I don't care. I'll warranty your silencer forever. And the 1% of people that I have to replace, it doesn't matter to me. Right. But to me, it's okay. How do you change the mindset that, this okay i'll give you for example so years ago i had a 22 can didn't come apart for cleaning and i had a uh the guy was out of columbia south carolina he was like a brain surgeon or something and he bought one of my warlock 22 cans and he had an american 180 (laughs) okay those of you who don't know that's a 22 full auto machine gun that has like 100 or 275 round drums and that fires at an insane very high cyclic rate yeah so about every five months i was rebuilding his can for him for free and i didn't mind he you know whatever it doesn't cost that much to rebuild one and and the funny part to me was after i gave swr away to the the three amigos two years (laughs) later i saw a post on bowers board the guy was pissed at me I've been trying to get a hold of Joe to get my can rebuilt for free, and he 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 failed me. It's kind of like, well, that would have been rebuilt what fifteen. <laughs> so that's what I mean. I, it's, yeah, I mean, I think there are some customers you don't want, and like uh, about once a month, I fire a customer. It used to be more at AAC, um, but if you have unrealistic expectations or you think I owe you, you know, like sometimes we get that. I don't know, like w- with. Um, you know, for instance, I think the fixed rifle is the best value in a gun shop because I know what goes into it. But when somebody has unrealistic expectations, like if you want to buy the cheapest steel case 308 ammo and get it to shoot half an MOA, right. then I want you to send your gun back to me. I will refund you in full oh, and you please right. go buy a Don't Savage. Don't go slag me on the internet. And not give the full story. Uh, what was that? We talked about Special K and what's the ammo now? The Hush ammo? Yeah, I think I it was Hush, it. and I, I I was told Hush is out of business. So oh, I, I remember shooting some of that last year. It was it was pretty smoky. I wasn't really. Oh yeah. It, it didn't blow my dress up. But uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's I saw some media results the other day. There was a can that was a new 22 can that's catching a lot of attention. That was you know the 108. 
Well, it, it was, I think it, their particular testing on a 16-inch gun with subsonic ammo was like 110. But on the handgun, it was 117, 118. So, Which we used to build. I mean, that's... In the shorter configuration. 20, 20 years ago. You smaller cans. So yeah. there's been a couple people that played around with one, one of my old 22 cans that was beating that particular can we're discussing. Well, what does that mean? Well, my old 22 can doesn't look cool, doesn't come apart, and doesn't have different configurations, doesn't have tools, doesn't have the marketing. Well, I think it's what we said before. You, you have such a bigger demographic now, such a bigger pool of buyers. And overall, everyone's much less educated than they were 20 years ago on silencers. So these companies can get away with stuff. Um, you know, there's no way. Nobody does, like, real direct head-to-head -head comparison stuff. You know, I know there's that little goober on NFA review or whatever. But, you know, he reviews your stuff if you pay him. So, now, you know, that's what I say. If I post numbers, the same people that are very critical, they're not going to believe me. But you're going to believe someone I pay to review my can? Like, that? that's crazy. Well, like, it goes beyond that. Are you going to pay someone who's far less experienced? Uh... Or you're going to take the word of somebody that, as we spoke last time, that just bought a, you know, oh, yeah. an bought a meter and, and a mic. Well, and see, that's where it would be great if, if the American Silencer Association did this and they were truly independent and you paid them if you wanted their rating right. and it would be completely independent, not biased. You had to pay, you had to give them three samples of the can or whatever, swear to that they were production cans and then um, you pay them whatever, you know, right. some university to test it. You send them a thousand bucks, they test the can, and that's the official rating. Because there, there should even be cans for like durability. UL listed, consumer reports of suppressors. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's really what you want. Until we have that, I don't care about pandering to everybody that wants to go and compare. You know, for me, like our silencers are products. Um, I don't necessarily even believe in the quietest anymore. Like that that's sort of a relative thing. Like and where do you want it quiet? Do you want it quiet at the muzzle? Do you want it quiet at the shooter's ear? But you know, you can make really quiet silencers, so can I. But if my thirty caliber can weighs thirty ounces, I don't give a shit how quiet it is because I'm never gonna use it. Well, and as you know, Kevin, there's there's so many other attributes and expected performance issues of the suppressor. How how does it retard the flash? Yeah. How accurate is it? Does it deter or enhance the accuracy? There's, and it seems like the whole yeah. market has gone to, hey, this looks really badass. Yeah, I, I think there is a ton of and that. Don't get me wrong. Your, your stuff, your offerings looks really badass, but at the same time, it also performs, and that's what's important. Yeah, it's got to be a balance. Now imagine having a, the coolest looking car in the world with 100 horsepower. Whoa. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what I was thinking about. Like, you, you got a new Lamborghini this past week looking at it. Yeah, the car is a performance vehicle, and it looks wonderful. Like, it needs to be a balance of those things. Um, but, you know, I want to uh, chase the function of the product. Um, and it's not hard to make things look acceptable. And the thing is, too, if you have something that's truly badass, it kind of becomes a standard for aesthetics a lot of times. Absolutely. Um, you know, in every industry, you see that. Somebody else sees something and be like, oh, my God, that's so ugly. And then... You know, two years later, it's sort of the standard because it's the best product and you accept it. You know, it's just different initially. Um, yeah, I, I just don't, you know, we don't use any sort of trick or bullshit ammo and any metering techniques. You, you know, the real thing to do is what when you, you never have is like years ago, I was using Special K, you were using generic Winchester White Box. Yeah. 
And you called me out on it. You're like, look, Joe, your can sounds really good with Special K, but what about trying this ammo? And I did. It's like, uh, yeah, it didn't didn't kind didn't kind of work like I hoped it would. Yeah. So, so I learned a lot over the years. You know, yeah. and I'll give you. I told, we talked about this last time. You know, my little special 190 dB mic from uh, B and K in Atlanta was giving me bad numbers. Yeah. And I believed it because it was certified. And guess what? It was, I got caught up in that. I, I think what so people do, yeah, and I think, you know, and so do I, this is one thing where experience pays off. And I don't want to sound like some old guy, but. Um, you, no, you I'm got, the old guy. <laughs> you got to have both, though. But I think, you know, I always meter against a, a known standard. Like, whether it's 22 silencers, we always meter. Well, I've seen your reference collection. Yeah, it was, we meter against, like, always the element silencer. Because that was the first, like, super quiet silencer um, that was available, kind of became a standard. And so I know what it meters. So you're, you're right. In different days, different conditions, we can get different numbers. Maybe it's 3 or 4 dB. But that is always the gold standard. Like, there's nothing where it switches places. So like, the um, Silencer Co. Osprey, some days, isn't quieter than it. Like, the element's always quietest. So if everything shifts, it shifts in one direction. Right. Um, and same thing with the pistol cans. I always use the Tyrant 9 because to me that's kind of the standard. And I have it and I have a lot of experience and I know what it meters. So, you know, with our new Erector 9, which I saw SIGs coming out with an exact copy of it. So, um, and, I, and part of that, I love seeing the people copying like, you know, uh, that uh, the the Griffin sisters been copying Knight's Armament for years, and I'll show you that chart in a little while where they've copied every product, nice. and you know, so some of that is like really flattering. But w whether I see Dead Air copy us or now, you know, Sig and stuff like that on cans that we developed since we left Sig, you know, it's kind of cool. But it's still like you're having to copy, you're having to chase. But when when we're doing the Erector Nine, I, I got some of the new cans from Rugged and Silencer Co. and uh, dead air and shot them and they weren't nearly as quiet as the tyrant nine so i don't go after numbers all i do is every time and we're over here doing some of the testing with you one day with it it is we just test it against the tyrant nine that's our standard every day right and so then we know like my goal is to be quieter than that because i've never metered something that was quieter than it so if once we get there then to me our job is done for right now right. well for the people listening Kevin's engineer showed up at the range, and I was witness to it. And I think you guys had about 18 or 20 variants in a box. Yeah, we tested a lot. Yeah. And shot every one of them. And they weren't looking for giant strides. They were looking for, hey, is this a half dB better? Is this more accurate, et cetera, et cetera. For the people who don't realize this, what I witness is Q puts a lot of effort into all of this. It was yeah. impressive. Well, thank and you. Get ready for the Rector 9 because it's badass. Yeah, that's cool. Thank you. That's kind. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of times you'll see, especially these new companies, oh, we've got something that's 10 deep. Like, uh, who was a little, your old buddy that we mentioned earlier, CGS, where they were like, oh, we've got a 6.5 can that's 126 dB. It's like, you and I have been around long enough. I just laugh. It's like, <laughs> it's such bullshit. And then they have, oh, yeah, it's a foot and a half long. Um, giant thing that's you, you know with a 6.5 bore that's 2 dB quieter than our full Nelson that's half the size and is a 30 caliber can it's like yeah well, that's, the thing. that's you, really cool you build something quiet but nobody's ever going to use it because it's huge and dumb and expensive yeah, well that's the thing you know it's just neat to see all these companies chasing different 
facets of the, of the, of the business, but it's a silencer, it's a suppressor. To me, the sound is a very large factor of that. So if you can't reach the, the reductions, why bother? Why would yeah, you sound, sound why would you say, oh look here here there's Elvis, it's not quiet but it looks really cool, versus hey, it not only looks cool, but it performs cool and it does all these other things. There's the military's been looking at uh, wide range suppressor use for years, and they had a list of things that I thought were impossible. Well, it's not, it's just a different approach. And yeah. what, what we're well, finding you, you gotta prioritize. Yeah. It's like what's most important to you? Yeah, the full, I love the full auto-rated questions, and it's like sometimes I'll entertain that on Instagram and the direct messages, and I'll be like, well, okay, what's your firing schedule? Or you have a machine gun. What do you have? Oh, I'm going to shoot it on my Remington AAC, you know, SD 700 and 308 with a 20-inch barrel. Um, but one day I might get an AR-15. Like, yeah. Pretty sure you don't need to worry about, worry about right. some and, and false said, full so auto rating. Full auto rated, belt fed rated. What does that mean? Okay, so it's rated to it'll it'll fit on the barrel. Uh, the weapon will still function because it's well, belt fed. If, but if, if somebody says full auto rated, but then they have a minimum barrel length requirement, it's not full auto rated. Right. <laughs> well, that's another good one. Exactly, but you and I have had a discussion about you know barrel length requirements. I've personally witnessed. A, over accumulation of unburnt powder, and I've 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 seen the ignition of that extra powder, and there was an issue. So my point is, you're full auto rated, but at the same time, let's say you buy you go out and buy a a, a car, and the red line is eight thousand RPM. Why would you take it to nine? Why would you risk it? It is the one thing, too. Yeah, the tax has people, I think, sort of retarded about this whole thing. It, it's like it's good for the rest of your life, but there's really nothing else you get for the rest of your life. Like, even if you buy a home for the rest of your life, think about how many times you have to renovate the house over the course of 40 Absolutely. years. Absolutely. Things wear out. Yeah. So, well, so well, to me, it's like if you want to get something to abuse it, then like, you should become a dealer or manufacturer where it's just cheap to do that. But well, if you got a good company... Like, like I, I think... Well, who's going to be around in the future? And, well, and yeah, because... That's key. I mean, Silencer Co., who knows if they will be, but I think they're sort of ridiculous, but they're a big company. They sell a lot of cans, but and they might be there to support you or, or Dead Air or whoever. You know, we will be. And, you know, the thing is, if you're... If you break one of our silencers, and I want to know what happens, how it broke... Not to see if I have to make you pay, but so I want to learn from it. So if there is a legitimate issue, we can improve our products. And, you know, sometimes I have people, that, well, not with this company, but with the AAC, to where they'll threaten to, like, put it online, do all this. If you don't give them a free can, it's like, well, right. hey, asshole, I'm not giving you anything. How many but, times? Like, I'm not trying to, like, blame you. I'm right. just, I want to know because if something legitimate happened, maybe we messed up the welding. Or maybe we could design it better. How many times over the years when I had SWR that people call me up and say, well, there's, there's an issue with the can. I, my first question was, what happened? Yeah. And I hate to say this, and I don't want to disparage human nature, but most people were so worried about me warranting or replacing their item, they would, they would tell me a story. Yeah, I, I, and I, I ran over with my truck, fell off the house. <laughs> yeah. my, my dog ate it, chewed on it. There was a lot of that back in the day. We haven't had 
because we've only been selling silencers two years with a new company. We haven't had very many RMAs, but it seems like, and, and maybe it's just the people that I have handled that or do a better job than I do with talking to the customer, but um, it seems like people trust that we'll do the right thing or either my guys handling this are better than I was because it seems like they just give us the real answer. Like, like one guy had a full auto 762 by 39 with like a five or six inch barrel. It's like anything else, Kevin. I used to reward dumb shit. Yeah. I had a guy that had one of our inch and a quarter, nine millimeter handgun suppressors that called up, had an issue, said the booster was jammed. And I was like, well, I've never experienced that. What happened? He's like, well, to be honest with you, I put it on my AR and I... Yeah, same thread. (laughs) I put about four rounds through it and it skipped threads on the the booster mount and I, I... my response was, here's an overnight, send it back, I'm replacing it for free, because you're honest with me. I appreciate yeah. honesty. Yeah. Yeah, because we just want to get to the bottom of it. Yeah, well, you're right. You learn. Because if a customer lies, you know when you get the silencer back. Well, and that's the thing. You, It's imperative that people that create things, manufacture things, sell products into commerce, know if something goes wrong, it'll help down the road. Yeah. But if somebody doesn't tell you the truth, you have to reverse discover what might have been the problem yeah so i agree with you it's it's imperative that i mean i laughed at people i had people that that oh your integral 22 fell off my tailgate and it bent the tube and i don't know what to do about it it's like well dude send it back yeah. in fact i'll fix it for free yeah you're honest with me but the guy that calls up and says hey i've got a i got a broken grip pod your 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 product sucks and 99.9% of the time, it's a Chinese replica. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> what part of $10 at the gun show didn't you realize? That's You're tough. not getting the real thing. And I'm really sorry, but my parts don't fit the thing that came out of Shanghai. <laughs> so what do you want me to do? I'll, I'll, you know, And a lot of times, I've sent them a free grip pod. <laughs> That's awesome. So, But yeah, yeah, it's like anything else. It's just honesty is everything. I wonder if we'll start seeing integral silencers again like i steal a lot of integral mark the ruger pistols oh, and so yeah. did you if, well the problem with mine is they didn't come apart for cleaning and uh I, I told up. everybody to run them dry well they didn't they didn't want to so well i'll give you an example my uh my new business partner kyle grubb right now is he's made his name in the industry for integral 22s yeah. uh not not handguns per se but the rifle stuff and he's, he's done really well but they're so labor intensive, and yeah, it is. So at that point, it's in you know nowadays, and I think Kyle mentioned this in one of his podcasts he did the other day. The distributors are making, and the dealers are making more money than the manufacturers, without carrying any of the liability, without without owning any any yeah. equipment with. And I think that's kind of where our industry went a little sideways. And don't well, get me wrong, there's good distributors out there, but at the same time, it's like, well, you know, I've done fuck all, but I'm going to make more money in your express than you are, and if no. something goes wrong, I'm going to point well, in your direction. Well, I think, you know, what happened was that whole, well, the, our industry is very crowded from a manufacturer standpoint, and everybody's starving and begging for business, and um, it, they had to start giving things away when HPA, that whole thing came oh up God. in the market stock. Cause you see now it's like, there's a new HPA coming out. Oh, please Everybody's don't. freaking out. No, I'm like, eh. stick a dirty fork in my eye. Don't do it. <laughs> okay. So yeah. the smart people 
the smart people in the ASA or whoever concocted this whole hearing protection thing. Let's call him Josh Waldron Knox Williams. Okay. What they should have done is they should have figured out a way to better fund the NFA branch and drive the transfer through quicker. They could have been successful. But as far as putting a suppressor as a 4473 item across the counter, who in the fuck ever thought that that would fly? And that's an example of extremes. It's like, yeah, I think we even talked about it before. It, you know, I wanted it to be an instant background check. And, um, like, using the next check and then work on it, silencers becoming an AOW. Sure. But, you know, I don't think anybody cares about the tax. It's the weights. Paying the it's, it's, it's not the money. Uh, it's not the $200 tax. Here, here's, we were talking about Griffin. You asked me earlier about them copying the night scan. So the Knights can, and then remember the Mams? Look at mm -hmm. Griffin did that. Look at, at uh, the Triple Tap. They did that. There was you know, I, I don't know them, but I have to give them credit for one thing. They, they, they seem to make some really cool looking stuff. <laughs> <laughs> look at all this. Like, okay, so can you do that? Oh, yeah. yeah, well, what's, what uh, our old friend John Hollister told me. He said, imitation is the sincerest form of imitation. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. Uh, First time I've ever heard that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the whole HPA thing. Well, we don't live in that political environment. We're probably going to go into a, a worse political environment now. But what is the, the really, what's the big problem? The big problem is people are impatient. People want instant gratification because they're used to it every day. Yeah, sure. Their cell phones, they're, you can gain any knowledge yeah, of anything in, in the, the world instant instantly. The check would be... That would be, and, and it makes sense actually. That'd be awesome, but the whole thing would be okay. Well, you you have to play within the rules of the of the game. What would be the best thing you could do? Figure out a way to help fund the NFA branch to a larger degree. That will it's in itself. Well, look at the e filings. It's a, it, things are going through quicker and quicker. Yeah, and that would be good instant check though, because you're right. People just want. And the tax base for the government would go up so much if people could walk in the yeah. gun store and if they can pass the next check and buy a handgun. Because if you can't get a handgun instantly, or if you can get a handgun instantly, why in the world can't you get a silencer instantly? Oh, I agree. So you can and, go and in. So, it'd be, so how many more $200 taxes would they collect doing that? Well, we're in New Hampshire. I can go buy handgun, you get a next check, and there's no waiting period. Yeah. I could walk out and kill someone with something that fires a, a bullet. Yeah. An actual fire. Yeah. Versus something that just muffles the, you know, the whole thing about silencer. The report. Yeah. Well, what, obviously, you know, the, there's the 22 cans are very quiet. There's mm -hmm. quiet 9 millimeter suppressors. But at the end of the day, it's, it all boils down to you have to work within the system. And extremes don't work. For someone to say, well, you know, it ought to be this, it ought to be that. Well, you know. There ought to be a lot of things in life that aren't as difficult as they really are. Yeah. But you, no matter how hard you, there's an old saying. The good, the nice part about hitting yourself in the, in the head with a hammer is it feels good when you stop. And these people that <laughs> that believe, oh well, you know, there shouldn't be a uh, NFA act. There shouldn't have been this. There should have been that. There should be this. Well, they're they're wishing and hoping. What they need to realize is that it's a give and take. Yeah, yeah, we've had it for 85 years. Or yeah, something. forever and ever. It's not going to change. And 
you know, how prolific are suppressors now? They're huge. There's. I don't think people realize it because most people that probably buy a silencer from me or you, they weren't around 20 years ago to see how, you know, there's just a few states where you could hunt. You well, know, no, especially now. Anybody that owned a silencer. Kevin, most of the people, most of the suppressor gun buyers now were, they're probably still in their early 20s. Yeah. Yeah, and it's okay. great. You know, welcome on board. You know, enjoy yeah. it all you can. But at the same time, the nice part about history is learning about history. Read it, study it. Well, most of these people don't realize or don't bother to take the time to do the research. Yeah. People buy cars all the time based on color. <laughs> I think you're guilty of that. Oh yeah, I, like, <laughs> I, I happen to like white. But yeah, that's but, my new thing. Years ago, it was black. So yeah, go figure. I, I like white too. Um, I I saw, but I think a lot of people, especially first time guys, it's whatever their dealer carries or whatever when it comes to a silencer or recommends. And I think that's true with most things when you well, get into there's, it. And here's the thing: I've I've seen this recently since I kind of put my toe back in the market. There are distributors and dealers that have favorites. So, and understand. Yeah, they, well, and I see it too because we're asked by one of our big distributors constantly to run specials because all of, you know, that's how some of the companies can sell stuff now. They have to sell it for half price or whatever in order for things to sell. And um, I just decided we had a meeting, like an executive meeting at Q, and it's like, yeah, I don't think we should do that anymore because now we're a little back ordered on our rifle silencers. And it's like, why would we? Give a further discount. Like these guys, like I saw, um, like you mentioned and I did earlier, CGS, they came out with their nine mil, their copy of a tyrant, basically. And they're, uh, they were $900. Now you can get them for $300. $300. Like they cut the price by two thirds. Yeah, that's not a business, good business model. It's not something I want to be. And it's like if it were selling or it were as great as they said, do you think they'd be? Having to give them away for cost? Like, well, that's something to think about. And I've always been so. a firm believer in perceived value. Okay, Perceived value carries with it lots of things. Is the company you're buying for going to be in business? Are they going to stand behind the product? Is the product as good as the, the manufacturer says it is? Yeah. And, you know, a lot of I've had a lot of discussions with my new business partner about, and don't get me wrong, there's some really great distributors out there, Kevin, as you're yeah. well aware. Yeah. But... I've been discuss, in discussions with him about, you know, going dealer direct. It's not that I don't want the distributor to make money. I just don't want the distributor to control what I do. They're a middleman. You know, I remember when I first brought out the grip hunt, uh, Bill Rogers from Prezon was like, oh, well, you know, you ought to just sell it off to uh, Blackhawk and sell for 30 bucks and you're going to make lots of money. Everybody's going to be happy. And I'm like, no. So it's all about fair profiting. And at the end of the day, Kevin, when you sell a Q fix or a honey badger or any of your suppressors, <clears throat> everything falls back on you. If something goes wrong, where is your distributor going to be? F yeah, you, yeah, I you know, didn't make I wonder it. the distribution stuff, like how much it makes sense for me long terms. With silencers, it probably does. But like I like supporting silencer shop, and that's just one. It's not saying they're better than the others, but... With them doing the kiosk and making a lot of effort on the paperwork side Dude, to make it easier for everyone, that was, that's a company I want to support and get behind. Absolutely, that was So huge. if they need something, I try to do it. But, you know, traditional distributors, well, AccuSport went out of business, and I like them a lot. I loved the owner, Bill Frame. He's, he's a wonderful guy. But 
yeah, that's good. You can move product. But, you know, we get it now with our rifles. Like, we're almost a year backlogged on our rifles right now. Like, I don't need to give anybody a discount on a rifle. Well, that's the whole thing. People need to realize that it's, it's you're not making millions of excess profit. It's, it's back when I was with my engineering firm in Atlanta. We cost had, a lot to make good stuff. I we, we used to charge all the nuke plants and chemical plants and pulp and paper, pulp and paper facilities a consumable fee. Because the drill bits, the gloves, the, the tear-offs, everything, it costs us a fortune. Yeah. And people that don't realize that, okay, so years ago, uh, who was it? Uh, Ellett Brothers. They, you know, the margin on a handgun was like 10 bucks, 15 bucks. Yeah. It was stupid. But yet, the margin on suppressors, you know, brand value and recognition to where we don't ever discount our stuff. And... Yeah, but I think it gets back my personality where I don't want to ask people really what they want, and that rubs a lot of people the wrong way, and I get where they say I'm a dick and all this, and I'm not going to buy from that guy giving me your money. Like, I don't want your money. Like, you're either going to buy our product because you like the product, or I don't want you to own it. It's like, you know, we're looking at your Lamborghini. Right. We, we don't know Mr. Lamborghini. He might be the biggest son of a bitch in the world. You've had Lamborghinis. I've had Lamborghinis. Like... I like the car. I don't uh, care sure, what yeah. he is. Right. I like his product. <laughs> yeah. In this realm of the world, it's like where people yeah, like... he might fuck goats on the weekend, but I don't care. He, <laughs> he, he, he builds a cool car. Yeah. I mean, I, again, <laughs> wouldn't care about that either. But I think it's where people say, you know, you're willing suspension of disbelief, which is a term, you know, for like movies or stories or whatever. And people get so bent out of shape when uh, the new movie Peppermint, which kind of failed at the box office. So I... I like, saw it the other day. I liked it. I liked it too. I liked it a lot. Like I don't know why it got such bad reviews. Like it was, but since it got such bad reviews, I had very low expectations, and it was kind of blown away. And I loved that she was like slaying dudes with the honey badger. Oh, you had but, you had a, a solid five minutes of coverage on the honey oh badger god, probably day. more. But and, so so that was wonderful. Honed in on the cue on the map. I, know, I, was I know. Like, Wow, we're a cool product place. <laughs> so they um, but so I get people send me direct messages, even on my personal Instagram, which is like mostly my kids, but. You know, how dare you, essentially, this is this is not verbatim, but how dare you support Jennifer Garner? And it's like, is she anti-gun? I don't know, probably is. Like, what do I give a shit? Like, you, you know, it's like if, right. so, so how many billions of dollars of porn is sold, consumed every year? Like, do you go do a background check on them for their right. political where, beliefs? Right, where, where like, do they stand? Like, I don't care. Like, movie stars, I assume, are liberal idiots. Libtards right. is a little, a little right. fellow I know says. And... That is fine. Like, you have a right to be that way. But if they're a great actor, like Tom Hanks has made some incredible movies. There are several actors that I love who, at a personal level, I probably would not reconcile with. But I'm not going to not watch Band of Brothers and Saving Private Ryan because Tom Hanks or Spielberg or somebody's anti-gun. Um, you know, and I think the same thing with the cars or anything else I buy. Like, I want the product. You don't have to like me. You can hate me. If you don't buy the fix and you want a bolt action rifle because I'm a dick, you are stupid. Right. Like that gun, you know, it's not me. It's a team of six of us that worked on the gun. I own the company. I funded it. I said, go big part of it's my idea. And along with the other guys, we wanted to do a bolt action because it was a place where we could be innovative. And I love product and innovation. If you don't like me, well, guess what? Fuck you. Don't buy it. I don't give a shit. We got a year backlog. Like, Clearly, you can predict all you want sitting in your insurance office, you know, being a commando warrior on the, the internet and say how I'm a dick and our business will fail because of that. Maybe you're right. And maybe it fails because, I don't know, I get into hookers and blow and whatever else. But um, 
if it fails, it's not going to be because I'm an asshole. It's going to be well, because we stopped producing the best and most innovative product. Well, you're right. Okay, so Enzo Ferrari, from what I've learned about his history and his past, uh, he was kind of a dictator. Dude, anybody that's rich and successful, you take so much criticism, whether it's you or it's me or it's and, and, that level. And it's, yeah, you become an asshole because people that always challenge you, always criticize you, and you know, like, I know how I want things. I don't even want to hear from customers what they want in the next generation Honey Badger. I know what it should be. Like, right. the market told me there was no room for an AR. Right. We brought the Honey Badger to market, and there's $10 million of them back order. And now you see all these other companies at SHOT Show releasing their copy of the Honey Badger. Well, fuck you. All of you said there was no need for a new right. AR in Ellicott. Well, that's what makes it interesting. It's, it's, it's not a game. It's a, you have a, a shit ton invested in this like the rest of us do in, in our products. But at the same time, who's right? Well, your sales prove the point. Yeah, I think that's it. At the end of the day, that's who I want to judge me. And I tell you, well, you're a nice guy. You want everybody to like you. And people think, I want everybody to own my products. Like, I go back to the presidential election. You're after 51%. Right. If you get 60%, it's a landslide. Like, I've got probably a 70% approval rating. I can sell to 1% of those people. Like, I mean, I've known you for 20 years. I mean, I think people think you're an asshole, and there's people that think I'm an asshole, but uh, you and I sitting here talking, I think you and I like each other, so Of course we do. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, but, you know, it's always like a persona that you see, and you, I don't know, the whole judgment, I'm so sick of judgment, And, and you judge from what you could see of someone on their Instagram or you hear from them, or I love this, like I was sent a couple things from Sniper's Hide recently, uh, a forum, and I went on Sniper's Hide to engage in a couple threads about our new rifle a year or two ago, and I was giving honest answers, and you know, I go in there, and like, I don't see Reed Knight on there, I don't see Bill Ruger Jr. on there, I don't see anybody else on there that owns a gun company, and I would try to answer people, and you get all these trolls, anonymous trolls, right? and so it's like, hey, fuck you, and then, you know, the moderator, I'm like, look, I don't mind coming on your forum and answering questions because you got a lot of smart people in here who are interested. But, you know, like, if you're a moderator, just tell these trolls that are, you know, they talk about my mother or do whatever. Like, just tell them to shut the fuck up or block it. And, and I don't mind. I'll answer. I'll come on your And it helps your forum. And, you know, it helps me, too. Um, but somebody sent something where they're upset because I called them a bunch of fags the other day on there. And for the most part... You know, it's like what I'm talking about are the trolls on the forums and that the other members um, kind of approve of it passively, like right. it's okay. Like if you want someone that owns a company or has real knowledge other than your buddy who is like a sniper back in NAM, to be on there and answer questions, then, you know, you guys got to police yourself. Like if you come over to my house and one of my kids is being a dickhead to you, he's going to get his ass beat. Like, you know, I got to keep, I got to keep my house in line. Um but, you know, I saw that on those forums. Now I see this is why forums are so useless. Like, I'm a dictator on my Instagram page. And if you troll my page, you can be funny. You can call me an ass. You can question our product. But when you just troll, yeah, I'm going to block you. And then you can go on your, your gay little forum and say, oh, it's because, you know, all I did was ask him his DV readings and he can't be questioned. It's like, no, fuck you. Like, if I blocked you, you know, you said something, did something that was inappropriate that I wouldn't approve of and you wouldn't do in my face. And if you would say it inside of our office, if you came to a customer build, you're fine with saying that to me on the internet. 
But um, there's just so much bullshit and lies, and it's it's like for that instance on our fixed rifle, we were using Bart line barrels, which make really high quality barrel blanks. And Dave Tooley, who's a champion bench rest shooter, and uh, Chambers rifles and threads barrels, really good work. And the thing with those guys, and I've said it in the past, and so they're saying, oh, well, you know, they don't. Uh, Kevin doesn't use their barrels anymore just because he doesn't want to pay for it. And I said, I said, and somebody sent me some of Dave Tooley's posts on there. Dave Tooley's lying. Um, Dave Tooley asked me if, so they just can't do production, Tooley and Bartline. Right. They, they said they were, uh, you know, we needed 250 to 500 barrels a month. Well, they couldn't do it, do it, fulfill that. They were never on time. Dave Tooley calls me one day and wants to, pawn off half the work to like an amateur gunsmith who he said he was completely confident in and um, I said no let me think about it then on a we get 25 barrels in and we rejected eight of them for chambers like most of them visually without even measuring have rings in the chamber and they were crap and Dave admits on the call that he had somebody else chambering the barrels and here I am paying him an outrageous fee to engrave his his name on the barrel. So I'm like, no, we can't have other people doing it. Your name is on the barrel. You can't have somebody else doing the work. And uh, yeah, you know, seeing the stuff that everyone posts now and they think, oh, Kevin's a big, well, no. Well, I was putting a $500 barrel in our gun that I can buy $100 barrels off a machine where they're chambered and threaded off a machine that are more consistent and meet our quality specs. Um, so I, I just get sick of all of the the forum and a lot of the stuff, and and that's where I like Instagram. I mean, do you feel, I'm, I'm a dictator on it. Kevin, do you feel that some people like to just disparage, cause trouble? Oh, or, I think it's a lot of people. Or maybe there's a jealousy, or they just want to be yeah. relevant, or they'll throw something out there to, you know, kind of a cause and effect, where... Yeah, and understandably, not belittling people, but there's, I've, I've learned in my life, there's a lot of people out there that relish failure, that... Oh, yeah, I, I get it a lot. It's where, well, I can't do it, so I'm jealous you can. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's a lot of I mean, hate, I've got, and it's I've just got, laughable. I've got personal friends that are billionaires. Some of the nicest people you ever meet in your life. I'll, I'll never achieve that level of, of financial well-being. I'm honestly happy for them. But, yeah. I've, but I've met people that are upset. Well, I think it's, it's human nature to be jealous. For a lot of us, maybe it's a personality profile. But to be jealous, and I get jealous and stuff like that, but I think there's people who think, believe in some destiny where I was destined to be a government worker, but God provided me with the Internet, so I'm going to sit on there and criticize everybody and hate on everybody that I'm jealous of, where if I see somebody achieve something that I would like, it, it, it fuels me to achieve it. Like, I, I don't believe that I can't... I think there's anything. I can do anything. Um, I don't believe that this was my destiny. You know, and you always have setbacks, but I always try a lot. You know, I fail at a lot of things. And um, But I just think, oh, well, that's a hurdle. I did that wrong. i got to find this other way to do it. I'm not like Eeyore and just go mope around. And I'm meant to be a high school teacher. And, you know, even though I want to... A Ferrari to me, it's like I wasn't born like a good-looking woman. Like if I want a Ferrari, you know, I don't have a trust fund. Yeah, you can just skip I, ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, I gotta, I okay, gotta taking your place in line. Yeah, I gotta go get it. You know, nobody's gonna give me anything. But I think my, that's one thing where my parents did a good job with. 
it's like I could do anything in the world, but you know I gotta I gotta work for it and fight for it. And, uh, and that's how it should be. And that's yeah. Not everyone's successful. Not everyone achieves what they want. No, but, some people don't have the capability. But I'll tell you, I'm an average, average guy in most ways. I think I'm more driven than most, and I'm more willing to sacrifice. You know, like I'm willing to risk. Like I believe in Q so much, I'm willing to risk all of my money on the company, on the products. And well, for somebody, that, it's just like you know, my wife and I had this discussion. I've had some setbacks over the years. I've had some people involved in my life that weren't healthy for me, or. It all, so I could have retired 10 years ago, but I chose not to. So does that make me greedy? Does that make me hungry? Well, my whole thing is when you stop, you die. Well, I think when people say, oh, well, if I'd made $10 million, I wouldn't still be working. If I'd made a billion, I would still be working. I mean, I, I think the people who really would make $10 million and quit are people who could never make $10 million. You could be given $10 million to stop working. But if you have it in you to go and achieve things and accomplish things like that, you're not going to quit because it's not, you know, there is no finish line for me. That's like death. I don't think, oh, if I make another 10 million or if I make 20 million or if I can sell Q for 100 million, I don't think any of those things. Well, like, if you're I, driven I, by I just, creating and yeah. if you're driven by accomplishment, when can you possibly be done? I'm very close friends with a very famous guitar player that's 64 years old. And he won't stop. He, he doesn't need to keep working, but he loves it so much. He's so passionate about it, he won't stop working. Yeah, well, I mean, why would you? Like, well, I, I don't know. Still, like, as long as you can still do it, it, why would you stop? The only thing I could think of I would want to do right now, because I love product, making product, innovating product. If I can't do that, then I just want a bigger ranch where I can plant and grow deer and like that would be an, another passion that I would enjoy because I like hunting so much but well the ends justify the means I mean all I the things that you've done all the things that I've done has led me to do the things that otherwise I wouldn't have anticipated doing the things that I'd love to do it, you know for yeah. example people in this industry know me as the old guy who did suppressors and the stupid grip pod Just well I don't know if anybody out there listening even understands my passion is guitars I love playing guitar. Now, am I, am, I, am I very good at it? Well, I'm mediocre, but I love it. That's my passion. So one thing supports another. Well, it can. I mean, to me, I think, I don't know, you like probably nicer things than I do. But Well, I got spoiled. I mean, it's, but at the same time, at the end of the day, you're... If I love guitars, I would, I would just be doing that, and I would find a way to make money, like... I, yeah, love, see, I'm not, I love small arms and I love marketing and I love silencers. So I do these things. But if it changes to I love, you know, uh, if I want a bigger ranch and I want to grow animals, then that's what I'm going to do. And I'll just find a way to make money with that, right. which I think is like a huge blessing because I think it's more fulfilling than like making the money, really. Um, but, yeah, changing the product. Like I, I loved I saw somebody yesterday challenge me on our Instagram about uh the, the fix or bolt gun not being innovative. And it was so stupid to me. Like, that guy's such a moron. Um, anybody that knows anything about small arms, uh, yeah, it's the same as a lot of other guns in the sense that it shoots a metallic cartridge. Um, but, yeah, the honey badger, and all, there's an argument because it's, you know, kind of an AR um, that, you know, we built to replace MP5. But the fix is so revolutionary in so many ways 
uh, to have people say stuff like that, it just, it makes you giggle because it's like, oh, this is, you really have nothing better to do or you're so dumb like somebody that doesn't like me told you well, that and believe yeah. it or you looked at the gun, it's a bolt action rifle, so you assume it's the same. Well, honestly, there's uh, a lot of people get off on being detractors. A lot of people don't like to see other people succeed, so maybe they're uncomfortable in their persona, but, you know, at the end of the day, I love to see people succeed in, in all walks of life. Well, I like it if it's beneficial. I mean, some people succeed with either bad products or bad ideas, which it hurts my heart a little bit. Well, I don't bit. like the cloners, and that's, uh, you know, you and I talked in the last podcast episode about what, what kind of brought me back into the industry. Well, one was desire, and the other was I was shocked to see that a baffle that I developed back in the late 90s was in a different form, slightly different form. Yeah was still widespread, and, and it was like, oh, yeah. are you kidding me? Well, I mean, the market shifted, so we don't have, you know, you're not just going to sell everything you can produce. Um, oh, think about but, it. We but for about a long this. time, since you and I got out of it, that's kind of what it was. The market was growing so much that there didn't need to be R&D. Well, it's, and this is this was my, my standby to when I started, when I took a peek back in, a look back in, I saw curved cone mill cut baffles. And it was like, okay, well, what about this? What about that? And it was like, where did that development stop? This is by far not the best that could be done. Everything else is advanced. But people are happy to go, oh, well, you know, this is a Remington 700, and I'm going to stop there. It's yeah. good enough. Well, you know, I don't like good enough. Well, you know, we wanted to do this gun, the fix, at Remington when Remington owned my company. But, you know, the powers that be, and that's the problem I've spoken about it before, and most of these big companies, these guys, whether it's SIG or Remington or anywhere, they're only there. The, the guys that are sort of in charge, like Ron Cohen's been at SIG a long time, but everybody under him, every two years changes. And it was the same way at Remington. Every two years, there were new executives from Home Depot or Black & Decker. It reminds me of Quantico. Everybody filters out about every, uh, you know, rotates out about every year. And yeah, and, it's and, like, what's the point? Yeah, so those guys, they have, all they care about is their annual bonus. So they have to hit right. sales numbers. They do not want to spend R&D money. Well, if you don't spend money on R&D and product development, then in five years, what do you have to sell? You know, Remington's still living off the 870 and the 700. Oh, yeah. Like, it, it, how much better could Remington be now? You know, and then SIG is a little different. Ron's done a lot better job, but he's still, like, they can't finish anything. You know, they came out with the XI rifle. That was a dog. The MCX was awesome. They, you know, it, it's like they did 95% and then they stopped. What do you think of the new Rattler platform? Is that just something that's been renamed or... No, I mean, it was, yeah, it's an MCX that they did for a special requirement for a, a, I, mean, I saw something on Instagram this morning. It was a little short MC, uh, Rattler 9mm multi-caliber uh, pistol. Yeah, well, I mean, Ron's from Kimber. He's the one that painted, all, the CEO of SIG was from Kimber, and he painted all the 1911s different colors. So he's, gonna, he's going to wear a product out. He's an ops guy. He's a production guy. So that's what he's going to do. So they just put anything new they come up with in every product, paint a new color and wear it out. But the Rattler, the five-inch barrel is stupid. You don't get the real terminal effects unless you're at very close range that you need. Um, the gun's heavy as shit. It's not designed for a silencer, so there's issues with reliability with a silencer. Um, other than that, it's cool. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I just... 
So let me ask you this. So yeah. we, we've been talking, we, this is a broad, uh, broad discussion about uh, a lot of different items, different subjects. Yeah. What do you think about form over function? Yeah. Oh, I, th I think function is number one. Um, I think it's number now, it's one. Not, it's nice to have a cool-looking fast car, but would you yeah. buy a cool-looking car that wasn't fast? I don't know. I mean, if it did other things... Um, but no, I think it, performance is number one to me, like the honey badger number one to me is reliability and the gun is incredibly reliable and, and a lot of people don't understand that, but then it's, it's an impingement gun that's more reliable than the MCX, which is a piston gun. Um, the gun is super lightweight, which was important. The gun is quiet. The gun is super accurate. Um, performance at the end. To, the way I look at it then is aesthetically, what can we do to make it look nice? That okay, doesn't so you just gave me an idea. Compromise. Would you consider in the future bringing out an adjustable gas piston gun? If it was the right thing to do, not to the sake of doing a piston, but if we had to do a piston, but I avoid pistons because they're heavy and they're loud and there's issues with them. Right. It's expensive and it's complicated. If a piston was better in a honey badger style gun, it would have a piston in it, but it's not. And, so and, and Stoner's original design is still... SOCOM's testing. The Honey Badger was more reliable than the MCX. So, yeah. It says a lot. Yeah, I mean, if you just... You know, we're fortunate now, and I think Knights really made a turn, Knights Armament, when they started making everything. Mm -hmm. And I see it now, too. We can control everything. And Knights, just like us with the Honey Badger, they did the AR-10s and a kind of pre-existing product. Um, but they redid it. But, but you know, they didn't design Well, talk about being it. copied. I mean, Reed and the, and the gang were... Oh, the Lord. Everything they, they, they brought did. it out, and they set the standard. And, and you know, uh, who, what's uh, the guy from Armored Light? He, he's, he's dead now, right? Colonel whatever. Uh, uh, it's like anything else. He created a whole market that other people could dabble in. Yeah. But what if he wasn't, what if they weren't there? What if there was never a Knight's Armament? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Knight's Armament has led the industry and, and set standards for and everybody. We, we talked about this last time. I worked Night there. Vision, it was thermal. insanely cool to work there. Yeah, silencers, guns. I mean, just the way they view things. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. Um, but, you know, I think that was one advantage we've had over probably them. I can't think of, maybe they've done some complete weapon system that's different than they are, Tim, but... Um, the fix and that was the first gun in a long time where I think everything we reconsidered everything how everything was done that bolt gun and I'm so proud of it um, the receiver being unique sort of along the lines of like an AR-7 even mine. the rake of the pistol grip I mean you I had this idea years ago before Magpul did it reduce the rake of the pistol grip yeah. And I, I thought I had something. Next thing I knew, Magpul did it. And it, it just, to me, it made sense. Yeah, it makes sense. But, you know, putting the sear in the bolt with the firing pin, you know, with the striker. It's never been done on a bolt gun. Having the 45-degree throw, the folding, just all these things. Combining, you know, is it revolutionary? I don't know, but evolutionary definitely. Where we put all, you know, the AR-15, the most prolific rifle in America for a good reason. So we took all the ergonomic cues the safety, all these things that are great with that gun and put it in a bolt gun, the magazine release. Well, you just recently changed your, uh, your charging handle. You told me you've, you've reconfigured your, uh, 
you're sliding stock mechanism a little bit. So, yeah. so would you consider you're always innovating? You're not satisfied? Yeah. I mean, unless, you know, when we hit a cul-de-sac of design where we can't think of a way to make this part of the gun any better, that's where if you ask me, we walked through the, the fixed rifle, if you ask me anything about it, I can tell you every little part why we did it that way. It's not always the case when you start with an AR base like, like the Honey Badger, but we'll get to a place where it will make sense to change horses and do our own gun. Right. And, you know, I thought that would probably be this year. I mean, the reality is it's probably in five years from now with the order velocity of the Honey Badger. So but listen, I, I don't cost- think we're losing a lot. The Honey Badger's great. The only thing I would like better is if we could fold the stock. But, you know, just folding the stock, then you get a pound heavier like... Right. The MCX. So how do we where, how do we get there? And that's going to require a different um, operating mechanism. That's just going to spend take a lot of time and money, and we don't have the resources right See, now. See, I've never liked folding stocks. I prefer oh, it makes the gun little. I I, you know, I get that, but I've always preferred a straight pull stock. Yeah, uh, I, I like the folding. The folding it can be stronger and lighter and smaller. I like it. Would you I ever like consider the putting the uh, the the recoil spring and, and all the mechanism up top. There's, oh, yeah. there's been a lot of that. That's the way the MCX is. Yeah, and, and the PDW is that way. I mean, well, I mean, everything's really a copy of the AR-18. When Stoner got the same questions, you know, he did the AR-18, right. which, you know, you, you gave me one of. Um, yeah, I mean, the G36 is a copy. Everything's a copy of that. Remember the XM8. That was the, yeah. uh, the, the, the rifle that built the uh, HK headquarters near Columbus, Georgia, that went nowhere. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just timing. I mean, I liked the Scar Heavy. The Scar Light didn't make sense to me, but that was another example of things that didn't go well. And that's also, it, none of that stuff is new, but I want a folding stock, but I want it to be right. I don't want us just to modify the Honey Badger to make it folding. It's like we have to get lighter, better, smaller. You know, it's like when I saw the Scar Light, I never thought it was going to replace the M4 because it was bigger and heavier and less accurate. It's like, well, here's the thing. How do you... Buy that gun? How do you get smaller and lighter than a honey badger? I, I, you know. We can. This is going to take a lot of R&D. You know, you're not going to do it in a garage on the weekend. Right. But, you know, it's going to take us a couple of years, but we get there. You know? So what do you think? Uh, okay, so I've heard rumblings, and I'm not really in the know anymore, about a new saw, a new squad automatic. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are uh, trying things. You, you remember the Israeli Negev. Yeah, Apparently yeah. that was. I had one, yeah. That was the gun. I don't know. I didn't like it. So, you know, Daewoo K3, copy of a M249. Where do you think the future lies there? And look at the Marine Corps where they were like, yeah, the hell with the saw. We're going to go with the heavy barrel M16. I mean. I I like that idea. You know, the saw, I mean, the 249 and the 240 are just too heavy to me. If you mount the 240 on a vehicle, like it's an awesome gun, very accurate. It's a good gun. But. To carry that thing is ridiculous. I liked, um, what was that Jim Sullivan gun, that he, the Ultimax? Oh, yeah. That was a cool idea. And I liked the Knight's Armament gun, the well, Stoner 86 Mar- that he did. Yeah, I remember when I was at Knight's, I had uh, yeah, several Stoner 86s on my desk, and I thought it was badass Yeah, cool. they're doing it now, I think. But, okay, so the Mark 48, the FN Mark 48. Mm-hmm. Why isn't that the answer? What? Oh, it's a 10,000-round gun, I think. So I remember when the Mark 46s came out, the barrels would, the barrel life was was rubbish. Yeah, well, I mean, basically, I think it's the same problem with a lot of a lot of things. 
Like the Honey Badger, even though it's an AR-based gun, we started from scratch to build the thing, so the weight came out of everything on that gun, where a lot of people just skeletonize certain aspects. And the Mark 46 is really just a skeletonized version of the 249. So the right. things that are really heavy, they didn't change the weight of. But, you know, they, the barrel is lighter and these sorts of things. Like, I want the weight in the barrel, especially on a machine gun or a precision gun. Oh, I agree. So what do you, you know. And then the Mark 48 is pretty much like a 249 and 308. So, so what do you think about the uh, upcoming calibers? I know you're majorly involved in a lot of development on yeah. new, new calibers. Mm -hmm. What What's your favorite round? So if you're a trigger puller in the real world shooting bad guys, what would you pick? Well... It depends. I would you. I would pick a honey badger and three hundred blackout. I would take um, some sort of SR twenty five, probably in a six five caliber. And I. So you you're a fan of six point five. Yeah, I think it's a good projectile. Um, I like the new three hundred. Is it PRC that Hornady did and SOCOM's adopting to replace the three hundred Win Mag. That makes a lot of sense. I would love that in a bolt gun, but I like 300 Norma Mag. But you know, a problem with Norma Mag is the guns have to get bigger because the case and case head are bigger. So that 300 PRC, I think it's PRC, um, seems awesome because I like 300 Win Mag. Uh, you know, I I like that stuff. Um, but it, you know, it depends. Like it, the the gun, the caliber is the tool you put it in the toolbox. All right, so let me uh, let me focus this a little tighter. Do you believe that? United States military, NATO, will actually shift calibers. Yeah, of course. And where do you think they'll go? I don't, I mean, some of it, I think, is timing and all. But, you know, I, I view it more along the... You, you have to do it as far as capability. What do you want to do? And then I think, well, I don't know how to write these requirements. I'm probably not smart enough. But, you know, where are this group of guys? At what distance are they shooting people? And if it's, you know, inside 800, I would want that 300 PRC with like a 16-inch barrel make the gun as light as I can and use right. a silencer. Um, if you're talking inside 200 yards, I like 300 blackout. You know, somewhere between those two things, like 6.5 Creedmoor or two, whatever the cartridge is like that, is great. You get less recoil. They shoot flatter. Your hit probability goes up. But bullet technology is kind of like optics technology. Those two things, the last fifteen years, have come a long way. Well, like two seventy, it's it's such a flat shooting a, cartridge. That's a great cartridge. Wow. But you know, do you want to feed it from a magazine? You know, there are all these things that that you, do you want to be able to load really long, heavy bullets? Uh, do you need a subsonic capability? Right. Um, well, you're doing a lot with subsonic now, though, as well. Yeah, you know, subsonic's cool. I mean, yeah. Remember Whit Engel, Engel Blister Research? Yeah, sure. I don't know. I don't. I haven't talked to him in, in a decade. I don't know if he's still alive. But <laughs> I just remember coming up that they were very weary of putting a light powder load in a cartridge without a filler, and then all of a sudden, there were a lot of smart guys that were, weren't using filler. Well, there's different powders and all now. And you can also, you know, that's one thing with these polymer case companies. You can also, like, especially if you use polymer case, you can restrict the internal mag uh, cartridge capacity. That's that's smart. So you can do it that way and your SDs and all are better. But, you know, subsonic, it's kind of like shooting, I mean, it's just shooting somebody with a pistol. It's better than nothing, or you can shoot them in the head. Well, there's, there's a push. If you don't get hydrostatic shock, you know, it's... it's you know, you shoot an animal or you shoot somebody with a good expanding subsonic bullet, they're going to die, but you got to hit, you got to hit something vital, you know, the central Well, you remember system. years ago, uh, you know, this is going back 10, 15 years ago, 
second Gulf War, uh, they were ice picking. Yeah. The, the, the velocity, the, the caliber was not effectively expanding properly and causing enough tissue damage. Yeah, I, I mean, I've shot, I've shot a lot of animals and stuff with subsonic expanding that didn't expand. That's just like shooting someone with a ball pistol around. You just poke a hole through them. Right. And they might die. Like, you hit something in the lungs or the heart, they're going to die. But, you know, does it matter if, for a soldier, if I shoot you now, if you die right now? Or is it okay if you die in an hour? You know, my concern is if you shoot something and it doesn't fall down, don't know where it is, and it doesn't die right away, it could kill you. On an enemy combat, and you, you want to put them on the fight. Yeah, so, so I don't know. And that's where, like, I love subsonic. But, you know, it's kind of like hunting, it, 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 to some degree, shooting with a, you know, a compound bow with broadheads. Your shot placement is much more critical than with a rifle. Right. And they well, might you, not die right away. Well, like, you remember years ago, like you and I stuff. spent a lot of time at Fort Benning. Yeah. And we watched some of those talented shooters that were, uh, that were placing subsonic rounds to pretty far out distances. Yeah, I've shot subsonic to 800. They had the training. They knew... They knew the, the you know, here's the thing I think with combat probably is we can go to the range and do things, but I think it's rare that you get those shots and opportunities. And I, even with hunting, like I hunt, you know, half the year. And it depends on where I am. Half the time I get, you know, a broadside or slightly quartering broadside shot. And it's an easy day. But right. sometimes, you know, a lot of times it's not that way. You know, and just like if an animal, a wild animal knows you're hunting it, it's a whole different situation if it doesn't know you're there. And I'm sure it's the same thing in combat. You know, I think it's rare that you get people that stand out in front of you and let you shoot them. You well, know? wouldn't you think that an animal is more instinctually aware than a human being? Yeah, but if, you know, one great thing, and I think it's what we try to do with human beings in combat, is create distance. You know, because even though our enemies are getting thermal and night vision and learning to shoot better, you know, I think it's probably pretty rare that we have a soldier that's shot at 600 yards. Right. Where, you know, for most people that shoot long range or shoot competition or military snipers, you know, making a 600-yard shot or 800-yard shot on a person is, like, it's an easy day. Like, that's not a difficult thing. Right. That's where, when we do the Megafix rifle, and it's going to be a 301 mag, 300 PRC. Um, now, what about your 8.6? Well, that's short range. But okay. but for this, you know, I want to do a 60-inch barrel because I want it to be an 800-meter gun because people talk all they want. Like, most people don't shoot that far. So, yeah, we, we've been working on 8.6, it's probably going to be 8.6 blackout, and, um, you know, that's a relatively close range. It's like I tell people, if you want to shoot inside 300, like I like 16-inch 308. If I want to go past 300, then I like 6.5. 6.5 is better beyond that. And 8.6 is a 300-meter cartridge and in, but with a 12-and-a-half-inch barrel. So we'll have 150-grain bullets going 2,550 feet a second. I have a 12-and-a-half-inch barrel. And 320 to 350 or so grain bullets that are a thousand feet a second that's as quiet as a silence 22. Wow. So an expanding bullet. So, you know, it'll be a close range, but it'll be like an East Coast deer pig slayer. Well, the reason I brought this up is I remember years ago, uh, Reed asked me to do a project for him, and I probably shouldn't elaborate too much, 
on this, but they had a requirement for a heavy pill in a short cart in a short case that would feed out of a uh, SR25 mag. Mm, yeah. And you know, at some point maybe I can talk more about it, but it was it was kind of interesting because apparently there's there's renewed interest in that type of cartridge. Yeah, I mean yeah, 4570. But you know, the 450 Bushmaster or 458 Socom or any of those and that's out of an AR10. You can get some or an AR15, you can get something big in an AR10 magazine. Well, the other thing is, okay, so I'm sure you've experienced this. So I remember years ago at Blackwater, they had a 1,200 known distance range, 1,200-yard known yeah. distance range, and we were getting better results out of an 18-inch barrel with, with a suppressor on it than they were getting out of 24-inch barrels. In what regard? As far as the uh, the group size, the accuracy, the... Oh, well, a stiffer barrel. You know, the, I, I guess they've called it freebore boost, whatever whatever the terminology oh, is. But yeah, I so people don't understand that. Once your bullet and on a rifle without a silencer, once it the bullet uncorks from the barrel, the gas is clearly just expanded the atmosphere. But under a silencer, it's still under pressure. So once the bullet leaves, it's still under pressure, and the gas is still push the bullet. Um, so you gain some velocity, free bore boost with a silencer. Usually, usually it's under a hundred feet a second. But. Yeah, it wasn't a, it wasn't a big shift, but I kind of likened it more to almost a harmonic. Well, the bullet shift, the change. Well, the bullet is less disturbed when it exits because the gases aren't exploding. Well, you also had less barrel whip. Yeah, you know, yeah, gyration. It, it, it's stiffer. The barrel stiffer when it's shorter. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, short barrels are extremely accurate. A lot of people don't believe that. But they are. They're more accurate, typically, than a longer barrel. You just get better velocities. So basically, the only time you want a longer barrel is if you want to be able to shoot farther than you can with a short barrel. But you guys are involved in uh, a lot of research on twist rates as well. Yeah, yeah. We, we spin it fast. I mean, if you got a big, long, heavy bullet, which is becoming more and more popular, even with supersonic, but definitely with subsonic, you want, especially with a short barrel, you want to spin the bullet fast. Mm -hmm. Our limitation now, that's a great thing with 8.6, is we're designing the cartridges and the bullets, projectiles with, with Hornady, with anticipating an extremely fast twist so the bullets don't come apart. Like our Honey Badger, if it weren't for the military subsonic projectile that they adopted, we would be spinning the bullet probably one in three twist rather than one in five. So people that get a short barrel, like a five inch, eight inch, nine inch barrel, and it's a one in seven or one in eight, it's not gonna be very accurate for subsonic. You get one of our one in five, barrels, it's going to be much more accurate so, with subsonic. So the, the, the speed of the rotation enhances the accuracy. Yeah, you know, you spin it faster, stabilize it. Even with 6.5 Creedmoor, for instance, you keep going with the, big, the bigger bullets, the 140s and stuff like that, you need a faster twist. Now our, our, um, our 2.24 Valkyrie barrel, because of the bigger, heavier, longer bullets, um, we're running like a 1 in 6, where most everyone does a 1 in 7, so we, we believe in the faster twist. It's very unusual for there to be a negative impact on supersonic. If anything, um, weak bullets, if you spin them too fast, they can kind of come apart, but that's few and far between at this point. Right. Yeah, it was inter absolutely interesting days. So. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of neat technology. I love optics and bullets right now. Right. It's good. Because I mean, to me, hunting especially, um, you know, I, I, I hunt nonstop, so... Those are two very critical things. 
You, you know, because I don't want to hunt with uh, my 300 Norma mag rifle. Right. Because, you know, it's heavier and there's a lot of recoil, but I never have to track anything. But with bullets improving, that helps with it. And then being able to see targets better, identify them in low light, which is probably for military, you want that, but definitely for hunting. Um, so that's where I love Swarovski and a lot of the real high-end glass. So that, right. those things are also exciting. And shooting with silencers. I mean, the last time I went hunting, I shot a, I shot a buck. It was 10 yards from a doe. And this was inside 200 yards. This is whitetail hunting. And dropped the buck. First at 6.5, Creedmoor, 16-inch barrel, and the doe didn't even move. Like, wow. she looked up, she knew something happened, but she didn't run off. She wasn't aware. She, she stayed there for two or three minutes before she walked off. Wow. And, you know, that was, that's a great thing about hunting with silencers as well, even with supersonic cartridges. You don't disturb as much. You know, you know, for me, with my farm, I've got several food plots, and if I hunt one today, if I, if I shoot, if I cull a deer, if I shoot a doe or something for meat, then it doesn't disturb animals that are a quarter of a mile away in another food plot. Like, I can hunt there, you know, the next time. You can skip around, yeah. Yeah, so that's nice. So let me ask you this. Yeah. So where do you see the future of suppressor development? I mean, if you were going to take a big, giant stab into the future, where would you stick the knife? Hmm. I mean, we can go forward. I don't know. I, mean, I think it'll depend on some politics. Like with hunting, <clears throat> I think there needs to be more stuff for hunting. But people are still a little hung up on this universal stuff. So I would love aluminum rifle caliber silencers. Like forget full auto rated. I want relatively inexpensive, lightweight. And I agree with modular in that regard. If it goes on a bolt gun, I would love our Rector 22 or 9 millimeter silencer. Do those in 2 inch diameter for like 30 cal or something. Right. But it, it might not be effective right now for the market with the long background check and all. But if it were an instant background check, I feel like you could have a five $600 silencer that you could have that thing 12 inches long or you could make it just a few inches for hunting if you want. Because, you know, I know I want something. If I hunt with my kids, I use, like, one of our longer silencers. If I hunt by myself, I use one of the real short So you silencers. just want something to take the edge off. You don't yeah, no, I want to not notice the shot when I have adrenaline and I'm sure, hunting sure. an animal. Yeah. yeah, so that's it. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. I think it changes a lot. I think um, I like a lot of what we did. Simplifying the mounting system, making it lightweight, going inch and three quarters, tubeless. You know, well, we designed. talked about this before about the the QD mounts and what's really yeah. QD. Well, yeah. to me, a QD is a snap on, snap off. Mm -hmm. So if you have a high helix thread or a, a typical thread, what does it matter? It's still not QD. So your system, you can just attach it to a muzzle device. But and, it's not and fast. With, and with the taper back seat or four seat, I should say, yeah. before the threads, you're pretty much done. Yeah, I, I like that, and it's not super fast, but I don't ever... Like, but, well, you and Ethan put a lot of thought into that. I yeah. mean, you could have come out Well, with what we decided was we weren't, like I said before, we weren't, like, you know, bound by some military requirement this time. We just did what we would want, and what we did was what we would want, and but I Isn't that cool? So you don't... Okay, so perfect example. Uh, where I am right now with my suppressor development, I'm having to work around things that other suppressor manufacturers have failed at. What do you mean? Well, okay, for example, so we just, 
probably shouldn't talk about this, but I just sent off a couple cans to for testing, and the end user wanted 100% Inconel. Every part of my new suppressor is Inconel, including the muzzle brake. I disagree with that 100%, but the end user has been burned by other companies. Oh, yeah. So they've convinced themselves, the powers that be, the mindsets, whatever you want to call it, that it has to be all Inconel, otherwise it won't survive. And it's like, you're wrong, but I have to play that game. Well, I think there's a lot of that, but it depends on who it is. Some of those guys, they won't allow you to educate them. But I hate that. I think your job is to be the soldier. You tell me what the, it needs to do. My job is to create Yeah, that. I'm not going to argue with the well, brain surgeon. No, no, but it's like, yeah, if you want an inch and a quarter can, maybe it does need to be Inconel. But... If it can be well, it two comes, inches in diameter. Well, you know this as well as I do. It comes down to a lot of different factors, you know, dissimilar metals. Well, okay, for example, you know, my big thing about, okay, so good story for you. So many years ago, my, my suppressors were almost entirely stainless steel. Yeah. And I'd weld up the baffle core, I'd thread it into the tube, I had locking rings, I had threaded end caps and everything else. Oh, a nightmare, yeah. And it was a nightmare because... All it took was a little burr, you'd have galling. Yeah. So I'm looking at yeah, this, stainless is a and, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody, so you, you people out there that do this, don't don't get mad at me. But here's the thing, you, you have, you're threading, you're, you're allowing your end user to thread things out of your can and change end caps and all this other stuff with stainless steel. What happens when it galls? Are you spending most of your time repairing screwed up threads? And that's what bothers me about rifle caliber. Now, what you're doing with 22 and 9 millimeter, I well, love it. I think it's still not optimum. <coughs> My threads suck. Um, I, you know, I don't love it, but I, I, I think I like it better than the current alternative. Um, yeah, but there's just really no other way to kind of do that. Uh, yeah, the the threading and all to assemble those sucks. But no, I think, like for us, with our, the lefty, a 5.56 can that we've been tinkering with for several years, or, well, for a couple years, um, the idea is not to make it out of exotic material. The idea is to make it durable with a standard stainless steel. Well, so that was so our approach. So, and this is what I meant earlier when I just had to supply two 100% Inconel cans to, to a group when a hybrid material can would have been a hell of a lot cheaper and would have done the job they wanted, but yeah, they're well, so tainted by... Well, they got money, you know. It's like well, the Remington MSR rifle. The reason it has a titanium receiver is just because they wanted it to last, and they had all the money in the world. Well, I guess what... I, you know, I agree, but my point here was how do you go back and repair a failed relationship with another company and explain to professional operator that look only just because I mean, you, you can you get them to give you the requirements and then you convince them to let you build them something then test it see if it works right and that's that's kind of my frustration that look but some of the guys won't listen you know i'm not out to sell 500 hammers or three three thousand dollar toilet seats my my role in my new company is basically look you don't need what you think you need try this well when we did the Titan QD silencer is a titanium 338 can. That military group, so we cast all those. And uh, so the commercial ones are almost all cast and it's way cheaper, but they wanted theirs machined. Right. 
What they, we, we didn't have a cast failure, but what they tested was machine prototypes, and that's what they wanted. And so instead of costing $1,200, they cost 3600 And they didn't care. So well, that's maybe that's how you get a $500 hammer. I don't know. I would have much preferred to sell them cast units at the lower price. Well, it's like what we just sent out. Uh, our cost to make this uh, 556 can was $900. Yeah, it says it's $3,000. And I could sell them something just as good they'd never wear out for $500. Yeah. And, and I'm not out to rip off the federal government. I pay taxes. I'm buying this shit. Yeah. I'm paying for it, as you are and everybody else in this country. So my take on this is like, look, you. part of what I'm trying to do now is, is rebuild confidence in the marketplace. That There's been people that have taken advantage of, oh, well... It's okay to rip off the federal government because it's the federal government. Well, guess what, people? Mm -hmm. Your taxes are funding that shit. Yeah. You're paying for it. So why don't we save ourselves money and save the federal government money and not waste it and come up with something that is is more than they need at a better price? Thank you. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Anything else you can think of that was fun or interesting? We'll do this again. Think of some other stories and stuff. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I'm glad you're back in. I'm glad you moved a couple miles from me, and now we get to hang out and drink Bud Light by the fire on your porch rather than being <laughs> being inside. You have yeah. No so IPA, Joe has IPA a, bad. <laughs> yeah, Joe doesn't like good beer, and he has a pool inside of his house that the room is bigger than my house, and we sit out on the porch in the snow like right. a bunch of hillbillies. Um, Anyway, my, my lawyer in Boston says I'm just like Jed Clampett. Maybe he's right. <laughs> Jed Clampett. We'll find some oil. I don't know. You got some land out here. Um, but, yeah, that, that's great. I can't wait to see what you guys bring to market. I've seen videos of the new 5.56 can. It looks awesome. Yeah, we're I mean, trying. Like I said, Kyle's the, uh, you know, unlike the way Gemtech kind of worked out, I'm not trying to be the guy that has, that gains all the focus. i my secret weapons, Kyle. Yeah, that's and cool. that's I know when it's it's time to pass the baton, and that's what I'm trying to do. Oh, that's awesome! And he's he's up to the task. He's 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 a smart. I, I shouldn't say kid. He's a smart young man. Yeah, he, he seems sharp. Um, well, that's great. He's kind of like my Ethan. I mean, he's just yeah. He's you know you got your secret weapon. I yeah. got mine. Ethan's getting old. Need to find another one. We need we need somebody to help Ethan out. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I don't know. I might trade Kyle for Ethan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> Uh, anyway, always good to see you.